You're listening to Red Center, your guide to digital cinema, filmmaking, and cutting-edge imaging. Hi, and welcome to this week's Red Center, episode number 72. Jason, we have a lot on our plate this week. Oh, my God. Week. We've got enough for three eps. Uh, we, we, yeah. we thought we had a lot last week. <laughs> Nothing compared to this week. <laughs> Um, yeah, some weeks it's a little dry, some weeks it uh, rains, and this is monsoon, get out down. the gumboots, a uh, ton of stuff happening <laughs> around digital cinematography. Um, so I guess, Jace, we should start by uh, getting straight into it, but I just am glad to be home, that's all I can say. Yeah, thank you for coming back, uh, it's uh, good to have you back. Um, we can, we'll talk later about where you were and what you were doing, apart, and, from, apart from IBC. And coming up later in the Red Room, uh, we have an interview, uh, you caught up, well this is really interesting isn't it, this is um, something that was actually shot on the 5D, do you want to tell us what, what the interview is? This uh, yeah, this is with uh, Tim Palmer, a uh, British DP who shot uh, the first, uh, I guess it's not actually a series, it's uh, I guess like a telemovie for BBC, the first BBC uh, semi-approved and we do go through the approval process um, 5D uh, production but uh, you know it's great to touch on him uh, someone who's done a lot of drama a lot of drama for, for the Beeb and has uh, shot on many cameras and it was interesting to see some of the reactions of the BBC themselves on uh, the new format well uh, that's all coming up later in the Red Room, and we've got a ton of gear and other stuff, but let's start with the news, and we have a densely packed set of news this week. And now, the Red Center News. Densely. Well, there's tons of uh, red news, first of all. Let's start off with, after all, this is Red Center. Um, <laughs> holy cow. Uh, some red news on Red Center for a change. Well, when I was in uh, London, I was talking to Ted and uh, we were discussing the replacement for the uh, CF cards as well as the drives. Mm. And um, as we were talking, that night news broke about the SSD, which is basically the custom-read solid-state drives that will be the, I guess, replacements um, for uh, both of the drives and the uh, CF cards moving forward. So what, what do we know about it so far, Jess? Uh, very little. We've got 64, 128, and 256 versions of the 1.8 SSD module. Uh, the module for the Red 1 is 1500 bucks. The module for the Epic is going to be 2500 bucks, And the, the uh, drives themselves to the drive packs, the solid-state drive packs to go in there are uh, 950 for a 64 gig, 1800 for a 128 gig, and $3,200 for 256 gig. Now, this is really getting pretty steep, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's sort of interesting, actually, uh, if you look at that in terms of the pricing as it goes up, because it is relatively linear in terms of uh, you buy more a bigger drive module, you yeah. pay more virtually proportionally. Sometimes that's not the case. You know, the, to buy anything costs a lot, and then to buy the next bigger version isn't that expensive. Um, I, I guess the question would be, at how many of these would you want on set uh, for any one camera? I would have thought three would be a minimum. Well, I mean, the good thing about them is that you're going to have an offload speed of like 150 to 200 megabytes a second. So I guess you're going to be able to turn them around quicker. But I'd still want three on any shoot uh, just because one might get lost, sat on, eaten. So go with three smaller ones, 364 gigs. I would have thought, mm, for me personally, I'd go for three 128, yeah. 128s. Because, Which is uh, still getting up there. Obviously, you've got to have the module. And uh, so Mike, the maths brain, will immediately add up while we talk three times 1,800 plus uh, the red one module for $1,500. And that will come to a grand total of, come on, 
Right, he'll still click away. But, uh, I mean, obviously people are going to still have some of their drives, uh, some of their red, red drives standing by. So this is probably going to be an add-on to that for a while until maybe those drives sort of drift away off or um, start to fail. Um, so, but I mean, I guess for a lot of scenarios, probably at least a two of those 128s would probably be the go, and then the side module. So even that's about five and a half, you know, five three. I was budgeting so. about seven grand to get a to get three a module on the side and get three, um, uh, you know, units. The thing about them is, yeah. you know, anything like this that's uh, small, compact, and easily put in a pocket. I, I just don't want to be going on set with only one or two. Um, two is the bare minimum, obviously, because you want to be hot with one and filming with yeah. another. Yeah. I mean, they should be recording, we think, what, about an hour per... Um, well, I guess that we don't really know because it really depends on what the on rate what is red, that you, what the red, you're going to. What red code. But obviously what they are going to do and what this is going forward for for Epic, if when you sort of move on to an Epic, you're going to take this media with you and it's going to obviously take all of the red codes and all the frame rates. It's going to be, you know, essentially... The top, the top mark of, of what Epic's aimed But we'd be assuming that they'd be out. half hour, hour and two hour packs at this stage as a kind of rough guide. That's on basing on current red, red drive, sort yeah, of red codes. and just as a sort of a rough kind of whatever. I guess you also, I mean, you're buying on set time here as well, or at least also that, that time getting away from set. You know, just the, the usual thing, I don't know, particularly for production, if you say you've flown into a job and you wanna, you're want to, you usually sitting there in, in the cab waiting for, or, or waiting for, or production is sitting there waiting for the rushes to be uh, copied over um, before you to take the original drives away or to take your, your copy raid away. Obviously, you're also going to need a red station to read that off your laptop. Yes, absolutely. So There's nothing really off the off the shelf to read these SSDs. So a couple of those to... is going to set you back another 500 bucks. I don't, I don't actually have a problem with the money so much because you could amortize them over a lot of jobs, I guess. Sure. It's not insignificant, the amount of money. I mean, God knows $7,000 is quite a lot of money. Um, though this would be now media fast enough to do the 5K at 120 frames, which is pretty significant. Yeah, and um, um, I mean, obviously, also now, there's going to be no vibration problems. Chuck them in any car, any rig, whatever. Obviously, it's solid state. There's no, no issues with some that we've seen with well, red drives. Well, assuming the contact points... Assuming that there's no issues with it, I'm sure we've sorted those out. Obviously, these are not, that's one of the other things about these, these are not sort of just off-the-shelf SSDs. These have, you know, are really built to have that robust contacts and wear rates to, you know, taking these drives in and out all the time, which probably your more domestic SSDs are designed to just sort of fit them in a, in a, in a laptop once or twice and sort of leave them not to Do be taken out the, ten times the fitting a of the SSD unit to your Red One um, MX is something that I would do... That is or does it need to go back to the factory? Excellent question. That is I'm assuming it's question. a field uh, mm. swap, but it would be a pain with Bardica to send him back. Bastard asking something. I don't know. <laughs> that so rarely happens. Um, uh, I mean, the other thing is that, uh, going back to this offload time, it's four times real time through yep. to get this stuff off, which is terrific. So an hour, hour of footage, you know, gets off in sort of whatever, 15, 15 minutes. minutes. Yeah. But the thing is, again, you know, yeah. Uh, we need to test them. We need to see what it, what it is in practice. We we think these are going to be out in about October. When I was talking to yeah. Ted off the record, so I shouldn't really be quoting this. But anyway, Ted's thing was that that the the nervousness they have in announcing this stuff is they really want to be able to make sure they deliver. So I'm not really telling tales out of school when I say that. Just that it it makes me believe at a personal level that the October is um, is well in their sights. They're not yeah. sort of saying yeah, it's going to ship sometime soon. I think you know. You yourself last week, I think, said, you know, what the hell? Why do they um, not announce these sooner? And I think the big reason I sort of gathered in conversation over a cup of 
uh, coffee with Ted is just that the big problem for them is making sure that they can hit these engineering targets before they speak up. So and also, I, I guess, not having every single SSD they make bought out before when, and then Epic comes out and no one can buy any media for it because all the Red One owners bought it beforehand or, or you know, they end up losing all their production uh, before the camera's announced. Though I've often said Red is not so a company October. that's afraid of producing on mass and Scarlet in particular and Epic were always designed to be much, much yeah. faster uh, build-ups in terms of uh, mm, mass build-ups. Yeah, mass production, yeah. Mm. Okay, well, that's all really interesting. Still, I think there's still... I mean, obviously, in startup and on ramp-up, particularly, I don't know, is there somewhere we read something into this October thing? I don't know. I mean, I think the thing is, uh, how do you feel about, you know, 7,000 on a... Um, on a camera like an Epic, well, it's mm. probably, you know, inside the zone. Yeah. Uh, the new, as we'll get to later, the new Alexa module, the Plus module the, um, that is the additional uh, Alexa Plus is about nine grand, right? So The, uh, the upgrade. The upgrade, yeah. Yeah, so, if you already have an Alexa. Yeah, so, mm. so when we're talking about these numbers, seven grand, nine grand, these are the sorts of numbers that at the professional level you want. My question and this is would, all new numbers. We're not, you know, five years ago, if you wanted to have some upgrade for your, you know, 535 to make it a 535B or, you know, wanted to add something, you know, you're talking 20, 30, whatever thousand to, to add on to a quarter of a million dollar camera. So, you know, again, I keep back to the point that we're all being a bit sort of spoiled here. Well, no, that wasn't my point at all. My point was more like that on an Epic is, I think, you know, good, sensible, yep. red. My question is more about how does this fit with Scarlet? Because if you start acting, whacking on seven grand to the cost of a $4,000 camera, yeah. Uh, big difference, you know. I mean, because we expect a thirty thousand dollar Epic, we, yeah, and there are big upgrades. And as I said, Alexa, it's all the same deal. But once we get well, down to a, a Scarlet, where we're trying to be really cheap and cheery, am I still going to be outlaying, you know, kind of well, thousands of, of dollars? Well, I think Scarlet, I guess, has always been engineered, and I guess no doubt there's been test mules on the bench that have been working to spit out that three K at one hundred and twenty frames a second or one hundred and eighty burst, whatever it is, to a CF card. So maybe this SSD will then give it. Maybe then you'll be able to go higher. I don't know. I'm just saying. Obviously I think that the thing we don't know about is how this is going to work with Scarlet. Yeah, and and it would sure. be a significant pricing hit if you started saying, "Look, I know this Scarlet that we said we we're going to be doing, you know, three K for three thousand, and it's now for uh, whoops, okay, we're going to ask you to lay out an extra two thousand five hundred for a camera module. Well, the yeah. bloody whole camera's only four, and sure. then I want you to start spending a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars on media. Yeah. it's like wait a second. I'm yeah, absolutely. My 5D. It's getting yeah, and obviously, meanwhile, other stuff's kind of catching up. And Sony, as we've seen, there's you know, I'm not trying to compare them because it's definitely apples and oranges here. But you know, the Sony's new PL mount sort of camera, they've been even more f- photos have come out at IBC about that. Um, maybe there's maybe there's ca- extra capabilities are going to come. Maybe better frame rate higher red codes i don't know maybe there's there there is going to be a plus to that but i'm i they have def i'm i've seen to remember somewhere that that uh that the guys have said that because people have said well what what's what am i going to do with all these cf cards you know now and this is a don't worry about it you know there's still scarlet so scarlet is still definitely going to be i'm sure it's still going to be there's going to be the cf option uh as there will be obviously well for, but you say for, that but we haven't actually been told that have we Mm, yeah, I think I, I've read that. I'm pretty sure. I, I'm pretty I have sure not seen, seen a discussion on the media on the Scarlet. What no. I have seen, and we'll get to it later, is the MX module. Sorry, the MX, the HDR option on the Scarlet, but I just haven't seen a discussion 
again, I might have missed it while I was travelling. Yeah, no, I'm sure that they've you know they've floated that the fact that you know the sixty the sixteen gigs and then coming sixty fours etc. CF cards are still going to have, this have last their round space. Of discussion? I think in this actual release oh, okay. of SSD, Great. if you go through those terms, I'm sure there's something. There's sure there's something there about it. Um, yeah, uh, that seems to ring a bell. All right, we have so much news. Let's move on to the yeah, next, which absolutely. is the new Red Cine X. Um, yes, which I've had very little time to play with. But, um, I mean, obviously one of the main things about it is that it is not in competition with Storm, but uh, it has the ability to now giving us the ability to trim R3Ds. Yeah, which is huge. I mean, I said uh, publicly that that alone would be a reason to buy Storm back at NAB time. I would happily buy Storm uh, just to be able to trim an R3D. So, I mean... The pattern is obvious that to get Storm to produce the R3Ds at NAB, the Foundry guys kind of cleverly hacked what was going on, kind of was pointed out by Red, well, we don't want you hacking our R3Ds because the whole point of our R3Ds is we want them to be universally uh, standardized so that they'll work the same on everything. If we get people starting to hack the R3Ds, then then that would be with the files. Yeah, and the next guy that hacks the R3D might hack them into an illegal format. Um, yeah. So then, no, that's fair enough. Then everyone said, "Yeah, but pointing at Storm, we really want this trimming thing." And so and the Storm guy said, "And it isn't that hard because we've already done it." And so now the SDK, as it were, uh, of Red now supports the trimming, which allows it to support it in their own products. It allows Storm to support it, uh, and also as of first of November, you'll be able to get that Storm product. And there's nothing stopping other people, as we've uh, discussed with people like Ted, from doing the same thing because that's not going to be an exclusive Storm or, or Red Cine X feature. Having and said that, yeah. I think it wouldn't have happened had Storm not been kind of... True. And now, obviously, having Storm come out and be a lot more information, of you, as you've shown on FX Guide and FX Guide TV, uh, there is um, now a really solid, clear link and, and a, a good connection between um, uh, uh, Foundry and, and Red about developing stuff going forward. Yeah, I mean, they're going to put a Foundry section, if they haven't already, on the uh, Red user site. Um, right. They are incredibly enthusiastic and supportive of the Foundry and vice versa. Foundry is releasing their Storm product first as a Red only. Um, it will, in a release second, uh, handle other cameras. Um, though, if you think about it, it's a great fit, right? Because they could say you want to go and do, I don't know, Alexa as the next one for the, the, the foundry. Yeah. Well, your performance is going to take a huge hit if you're starting to deal with the uncompressed files because they're uncompressed. They're smaller, but they're still uncompressed. So it's a great fit all round. And I think that there's no doubt that uh, the... I mean, m- my criticism, and it's, you know, I use um, other products that have been with... Well, let's name products. I use Scratch, love yep. Scratch. I have a criticism of Scratch, which is I think the UI has taken a really long time to develop. Um, I think that it's a great product, but a year or two on from when it was first released, no, forget that, a year or two on since it, it supported Red, which is a year or three beyond when it was first released, because don't forget Scratch was released pre-Red, uh, right. the UI remains remarkably simple mm. uh, and unadvanced, and, and I don't know why that is. I mean, uh, I've got theories as to why that is, but... It doesn't stop us from using it. It just feels like it's in molasses when it comes to the UI. Now, the Foundry, by contrast, just have proven time and time again their ability to move forward UIs, which is what they did with Nuke when they took it over from DD. 
um, and they're showing it with Storm. They've got yeah. a really when good Storm team. is like in in its very first showing is like Red Cine X, like comp- on steroids and then on steroids. Yeah, it's and like more utterly amazing uh, UI. And Plus, the thing that Red doesn't have that the Foundry does is an understanding of EDLs. I don't think that that Red want to understand EDLs, quite frankly, because it's a pain in the ass. Yeah, but understanding a good MX, uh, sorry. Uh, MX, I'm going my completely tongue tied today. XML workflow, which is what you need uh, to to really work well both mm. in and out, and EDL support and all that kind of stuff is what the Foundry um, naturally have. So I think they're leveraging a lot of other stuff, and I don't think we've even seen the Foundry basically get out the big guns yet because they've got a whole bunch of GPU technology which they showed and have implemented for some of the um, optical flow stuff. None of that is yet in Storm. Right. So. You know, this is not like, wow, look at Storm, what they've managed to do. It's just like, look what they've started to do. But when we spoke to them, and this is in the FX Guide TV app, they do use GPU stuff. They just don't use their proprietary GPU engine, which is just sitting in the wings ready to roll into this product. So there's a ton of stuff there, and then another ton of stuff. And, I mean, you know, a betting man, you might see uh, Storm as the kind of front end leading into Nuke down the track. So this is a pretty huge... Um, uh, leg up for red. Just jumping, I mean, I mean, I, I opened just investigating Red Cine X, the new version of it. I mean, obviously, it's you know, it's it's free, it's terrific, and it's an, a great evolution and a great grouping of a lot of other apps together. But it still does my head a little bit. I open, I double click on a red file, and Red Cine X pops open. And think, well, where's my my file? Is it in this window? Do I click it on this window? Do I then once it's launched, do I still have to drag it into a timeline? I, it I does my head in a little yeah, bit, and that's that. that's just my simplistic director thing. Okay. Uh, not a post person. But I actually reckon Red Cine X is better than Scratch for sure. the UI. But I bet I, I'm just. I guess I'm leading to the fact that Storm is then is going to be like it's almost going to be like um, I don't know, like sort of opening up Final Cut Pro with with Magic Bullet, and there's sort of you know you've got color control and you've got a simple timeline you've got a clips bin and it's all very well, unified it's not 50 different windows that just yeah. propagate your whole screen and so i, I don't know i'm looking forward to and there are from a usability point things, of view like the ability to have the ui see one of the problems with the red X type stuff is that when you use it with the um with acceleration hardware which is great, you know, having Red Rocket there. It tends to be that you're outputting on the Red Rocket or you're outputting on your own screen, but not simultaneously, which is something that Storm does. Right. Um, hey, can I just quickly question before we move on? Does the Storm is Storm designed to be purely a red thing, or will it work? Like, no, no, if, no, can no, you bring in Alexa files and all? Uh, not in version one. So what happened is the, the Storm guys developed it. Sorry, the Foundry guys developed Storm to tackle the red market, and. In the early days, they weren't working as tightly with Red. They were happily working with Red, but more of it like anyone else. Um, And so they always had a plan to take it beyond just Red because, quite frankly, on most shoots these days, you've got a bit of 5D somewhere and a bit of Red and a bit of something else around the place. Uh, The initial version of Storm is a Red version. There's a version 2 that they've announced on the storyboard, uh, on the planning boards. God, I can't speak today. On the the, um, storyboards. On the drafting board. And that is going to give us uh, support for Alexa, for 5D, and for a bunch of other things. That is just not the version that's being released in November as the free beta, November 1st. Well, right. free alpha beta, what do you want to call it? Okay. Excellent. So, keeping on moving on because yes, we, yes, um, indeed. we need there's to. Yes, yes, indeed. There's a lot. So, uh, obviously, there's a lot of other, other stuff in Red Cine X apart from just the, the R3D trimming. But um, The R3D trimming is pretty huge. Yeah, absolutely. Um 
uh, you can do watermarking and um, I think EDL and F- FCP, uh, XML import, was that? I don't know whether you could do EDL import before. Oh, honestly, I got back uh, on the weekend from London, yeah, so I no, haven't spent that long sorry. on Red Cine X. Okay, moving on. Um, so now red, new red, red ones are now only MX. There's no <laughs> non... I, I, I read this when you sent it to me and I was like, really? So I thought that would have been the case for months. <laughs> yeah. No, well, uh, since essentially all the Red One owners who are eligible for MX sensors have all done it and upgraded, and now basically uh, there's no non-MX um, sensors. If you want to go and buy a brand new Red One, it is MX only at a cost of 25 grand. So it's you know, obviously seven and a half grand more than the original price of 17 and a half, which was you know a bit of a bargain. Uh, obviously, a lot of that is the sensor, which I think originally, if you upgraded your sen- your red one, it would have been like five seven or something. So the difference is the fact that that sensor was always considered a bit of a uh, a discount to red one owners. If you bought a red one, we're selling you the MX sensor as a discount. Okay. So now I, I would just file this story under. I, I yeah, assume that you'd buy MX and. <laughs> I'm not interested in MX right now. Or do you file it under, I assume you wouldn't actually even necessarily buy this and just please wait. Um, That's what I would say. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Moving on. More more interesting to me uh, is that over the last, or since we spoke last, Chase, they've been rolling out stuff to do with the HDR. Firstly, uh, I'm really glad that uh, the policy of not posting anything now uh, has seemed to have lapsed slightly because <laughs> I kind of enjoy it when they do this. Um, so they showed initially some pictures uh, and now a clip of footage shot with the Epic, which is um, a shot in Las Vegas, uh, and it's a shot that pans left to right, and that shot is... Uh, Just on down by in old, uh, old Vegas. Yeah, exactly, in, in old Vegas. So... Look, I've got that clip up and I'm looking at it as we speak. Yep. Um, and I've got to say that it naturally at this stage looks what you might describe as flat. Flat. And yep. I have no problem with that whatsoever because uh, the whole point of red is it's going to be going in for use in grading. Yeah. And then moreover, this is trying to get massive dynamic range. It's interesting. So, it's what lies beneath here, obviously, that is going to be the key. It's what, what is available to you when you want to start digging deep in blacks and highlights is going to be the key. And, uh, hey, perhaps a one second of this, an R3D, a trimmed R3D of this would be cool to post. So people with um, uh, with Red Cine X or whatever can then actually start playing and seeing what is there. Obviously, it's not out yet, you know, so they're going to just maybe develop this a little bit more and maybe there'll be a much better version even 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 than that by the time it comes well, to now, be released. we should clarify, there are two versions of the HDR mode. There is a version that happens in the camera and then there's a version that happens in post. Now, I think this is really significant, and this is exactly what we hope for. In fact, I don't know who I was begging this information off before it announced, but, um, yeah, there's there's the idea that you can get it happening, um, basically an easy HDR in camera, um, and yeah. this HDRX, which is uh, with either Magic Motion or with the MNMB, which is like more natural motion blur. So um, I don't think I have any problem with this clip given yep. when it is, in terms of the fact that I don't have any problems with the idea that this is a an early version of the clip. People have been picking it apart, trying to, to uh, pull stuff up. And, and I get that. Like, you know, people want to, like, analyse stuff to death. Um, but the question is, if you saw this clip just playing in some environment like I showed it to you, would you off-air go, whoa, what was wrong with that? Um, 
And the answer is I don't think you would in any way, shape or form. I think this clip looks really, really solid uh, for where it is. Now, there yeah. are some little things that you can point at and to do with the way that some of the lights have kind of grayed a bit or the edges of some stuff uh, motion blurry-wise. But I've got to tell you, Chase, if you analyze any goddamn frame pretty much of something, mm. you can often find artifacts in there that look wrong when you zoom up on them, like I've done that on live yeah. action footage that's shot on a film camera, and you go, oh, look yeah. at that. It looks a bit yeah, weird, weird there. It's kind there, of but hey, doing something. It's not weird. It's, yeah. it's just whether or not it plays and looks good. And yeah. so quite frankly, I'm going to say that this plays and looks good. Um, I really do think that this looks good. I don't know if you've done this or not, but if you get um, that clip up, yeah. and even in QuickTime, just uh, wind the contrast up, which is to say... You know, make your right. black and do a bit of a take less flat, flat grade. Just a tiny little tweak, and I'm just saying an AV control in QuickTime. That's all you have to yeah. do to it, and you suddenly get something that looks really, uh, really interesting. And it doesn't have the ghastly HDR. Oh, yeah, it looks good. Nasty thing. Um, so the clip that you would see if you downloaded it from the site has the characteristic uh, flatness that you would expect. If you just add a little bit of contrast to that clip, either just in the QuickTime player itself or obviously take it into anything else, this is an H.264 uh, file, 1,500 by 750 uh, pixels across. It's 2398. That's the file that you can download. Um, it's obviously compressed, so again, you'd be... Yeah, this is know, just a quick time you're playing with. But that being said, like, you know, just crushing that a little bit in terms yeah. of contrast, yeah. it looks like a really, really good clip. And quite frankly, doesn't look HDR ugly. And by that, I mean tone-mapped ugly, because normally it's a tone-mapping problem that causes that horrible um, regionalized... Uh, you know, everything looks dirty. You know what I mean yeah. by that? Like it's a lot of HDR stuff does look that when it tone maps uh, out of Photoshop and stuff. It looks ghastly. I think this looks good. Well, look, I think, I mean, I'm looking forward uh, to it more in It exceptionally good. I'm looking forward to I'm it sorry, more it for the highlights. It's really freaking good, actually. No, I'm seriously, I mean, this, this could look, I mean, at this stage, this could look vastly worse than this and we'd still consider it a triumph of technology. Yeah. So this is, to my, and I do a lot of HDR work, this is Frigging awesome. So what will be interesting, and which I've, and I've ranted about, right, ranted, mildly ranted about it on um, previous episodes, would be that when you get these files, to be hopefully natively bringing them into whatever base light or yep. into a proper, and then to have access to either yep. side of the HDR. Yep. This is what I was talking about before, not having to then go and switch the ISO, you know, to be able to get yep. some stuff in the highs and then switch the ISO again to get some stuff in the lows and then meld them together. If we can then suddenly get all... This is getting closer to what I've been hoping for, is to get all the information of the R3D and then and then some, you know, now we're talking 18-plus stops, to have that in... To have at your fingertips integrating suite without having to dick around, you just just set it on whatever the metadata of your ISO was, or whatever whatever that the equivalent is going to be in HDRX mode, and just have every you know atom and pixel of of, of data be at your fingertips without having to change things. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think that the HDR conjures up the tone mapping ugly thing sure and this is why this is so magnificent if you look at this clip it looks how can i put it normal yeah i mean mm. to your eye mm. it looks like a normal clip yeah, with just you know 10 percent of contrast what would it have to be normally to get this is a massively lit set to try and balance the light out on the actors in the foreground these obviously aren't actors i'm saying if you were doing this for real in a yeah. studio to get this shot you'd have to massively light things to balance out the bright lights of the the things and that the night and it would just look like this if you spent millions on lighting trucks and put up soft suns and just dicked around. Yeah. Um, 
And so to get this on the streets with no commercial lighting, this is just, you know, filming, yep. is I think this is actually more significant than anything I've seen from Red since the original shots of the girls with the milk bottles. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I, I agree. Well, I mean, what will be great is to really see what is in there, what we're going to be able to get out of the highlights. I mean, for me, obviously, we're all just trying to make this stuff look like film. And no, I'm saying we're not. I think we're going beyond that. I don't. You oh, sure. Get film looking like this? No, no, sure, sure. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, yes, we are trying to get it to look like film. And if I know that in 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 those highlights, I can I can bring in way more than film will do. Then nailed, job done. You've you've you've, you've killed it. I, I think that um, I think that this is the thing that puts Epic back in front. If you had a, a, a sort of a seesaw mm. of interactions, then yep. you could argue, well, as I certainly have, I don't desperately need, need to go to 9K myself. Like, I think 5K is awesome. I love shooting in 4K for a 2K deliverable because of a whole lot of reasons, reframing not being one of them. Mm-hmm. So that's all great. Um, the thing about the Alexa is it's a very robust uh, workhorse in terms of having four simple post post paths, shoot and use the um, on-camera compression, shoot and use that as an offline, shoot and output the output to an HD tape recorder and just tape edit it like normal and then finally use the raw uh, controls. Mm. And those four really simple post paths, plus it's an ARRI and everything else, make it a really valuable camera. Absolutely, and tipping. And and, and quite frankly, you know, shipped and it's sensible and it's not frightening to anyone and doesn't require any yep. complicated anything yep. um, but it gives you effectively two and a half K three K ish kind of yep. thing in the raw mode um, and I've looked at the raw mode files we'll get to this in a second and they, they're really good they're just not very big but they're really good Yeah, about I think it's like seven or nine mega frame um, but and that two-horse race without the HDR mode, I could see people saying, well, that camera's 50 grand or 56 and the red's a bit cheaper, but, you know, yeah. six and one half thousand the other. You add this into the equation and it, you've, I think, vastly more significant than going to 9K. This is, like, uh, yeah. huge. And what's going to tip it even more would be if they come out and say, okay, we're going to do a ProRes module. And it's only a matter of time, I reckon, just taking Ari head on. This is one of the big things that people are really liking about uh, Alexa is that it's just pull that card out and go straight into your, into your Mac. Don't even need a card reader. Um, and to obviously they've announced the H.264 module, and that's terrific, but I think, you know, as an interrupt step for people that don't need full 4K raw ability, just want to have quick turnaround and, and no fast and to get producers off their back, um, uh, ProRes module or something that's going to be able to do that, it will be terrific, which I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure it's just a, I mean, with any of this it's a flick kit, of a software switch. With any of this kit, there's this whole idea of like, you know, when you, something comes out new and you go, well, I want it to do what it does better, you know, 5%, 10%, faster, cheaper, whatever it is. But it's when you have uh, something this dramatically different, yeah. this becomes a game changer. Uh, this is complete. I mean, because up until now, it's been sort of... Upman, one upmanship, so Ari thing, literally half way. a stop. We can do 13 yeah. and a half. We can do 12 and a half. Now we're literally just eight and a half. Boom. Thank you very much. To some degree, game over. And, and, and look across the entire spectrum of cameras. I mean, yeah. not just the Ari. We've been talking about the Ari quite a lot, obviously. Yeah. Genesis. <laughs> like Genesis, uh, just essentially, this and stuff's getting theory. very old very, very quickly. Very, very quickly. I think um, that this is pretty much, you know. 
the uh, you can almost hear the organ playing. And also, I think this will have huge implications even still photography because I think what will happen very yeah. quickly yeah. is that uh, people will be using the Epic to get these yeah. kind of shots and yeah. this dynamic range and suddenly mm. your stills photographers just want these sorts of shots. And yeah. I mean, stills photographers, if you look what they pay for at the moment to go into half the battle of going to medium format or large format digital is to get a better because they've got much bigger pixels, uh, the much wider sort of pixel um, uh, I mean, This is pixel the depth pitch. of medium format. This yeah. is like you would not want medium format. Yeah, apart from the, the depth of field. Really? It's, Even on the 5K, like you think that that's... Well, it's just... Yeah. You, just want, you want, still want... But I mean, we've still... Well, what have we got? I mean, if you're, if you're talking about some of those backs are like 20, 40 megapixel. I mean, this is just a lot of when resolution to be able to blown up you, to like the and, sides of buildings. And I was so. describing you to someone and it was like, <laughs> Jason walks on set and says, how fast that lens? Uh, 1.4? <laughs> Gaffer it. tape it. <laughs> Okay, well, all right. I'll, I'll, um, Too late. Why is it here? Yeah. Okay, we shot, many films have been shot, we shot recently, more up at 2.8 to 4. Yeah. And happily Sensibly, so. absolutely. But we had, no, we had 1.4 and, uh, and slightly faster, 50mm uh, lenses. Um, yeah, okay. Anyway, so yeah, this is it's, huge. It's, it's huge. And, and it, it can't be underestimated. And, yeah. and I just think the clip looks so normal that I think some people, like my wife, would yeah. look at that clip and go, what am I looking at? It yeah. looks normal to me. Exactly. In not no, knowing that you couldn't get that. Knowing that people, don't panic people, we're not, we're not doing um, tone-mapped, you know, horrible, those sort of awful... Ghastly, yeah. And I've got images. to tell you, I, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm willing to give tons of props to Graham on this one. Yep. Because Graham a while ago, yep. made a comment, I think on Twitter, about uh, how ghastly he thought tone-mapping was and how there was a much better approach to it. And... And uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say right away that if this works the way it should, then Graham should be in a line for a technical Oscar this time next Absolutely. year. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and Absolutely. I'd be first in the queue to endorse that technical Oscar nomination. Well, and or the whole red, red camera. Well, sure. I'm, I'm sure, sure. two more than just Graham, but I'm willing to bet all the money in my pocket that he'd be one of the uh, four on the, um, on the list you'd submit to the uh, Academy. Yes. yes, absolutely. Start picking out suits. Okay. Um, Okay. New color space. Yes. Now, I'm, I'm pretty grey on this at the moment, but uh, maybe, Mike, you know a little bit more. Sure. Well, first of all, this is coming soon. Uh, yes, and we'll uh, as is HDXR. Yeah, and we'll come to Red 1 as to HDRX. Epic. The HDRX has no concept of going to the Red the 1. Um, sorry? Nothing. Uh, and also, the HDRX is not necessarily, or the HDR is not necessarily going to the uh, Scarlet, though there is a poll right now... Um, Let's increase the cost of Scarlet $1,000 so they could include the processing board to have that mode in a Scarlet. I personally think they'd be wrong to do that. I think the Scarlet initially would be you should just ship it. Don't change it. Don't, don't re-engineer it. Get the fuck out the door. Um, but, you know, and let it be a point of differential, uh, differentiation between the Epic and the Scarlet. But anyway, this is not like that. This is actually going to apply Red 1 MX right through to um, Epic and Scarlet. And this is Red Color 2, which is basically a DSAT version of Red Color. I think that's um, – we've discussed this before. Red yep. Color is kind of a good straight-out-of-the-gate grade. This is a good straight-out-of-the-gate grade with a little less saturated, so that's fine. Uh, more significantly, I think, is the uh, Red Gamma 2 and the Red uh, Log Film. The Red Log Film is – very tightly mapping, as best I understand it, to a Cineon um, file right. workflow, and that yep. will make it hugely popular. Yep. 
great option. There's some stuff that was put out by, I think, Jim saying that this has uh, tons of dynamic range, the maximum range at the centre. I actually think that slightly misleading because I wouldn't mind betting that while that's absolutely true, that you'd actually don't lose any dynamic range from the sensor in the, so for example, red gamma 2 or red colour 2. But I think what he means is it's it's an, an easier way to get at it and it certainly would sure. be better. Well, I doubt the other red modes do lose. But all of this is EXIF data, right? This is, does not affect what's going down into the R3D, well, yeah. right? So we can grab a shot that we shot when the red one first came out, the day yep. after I got it, and yep. run it through that. Yeah, and, uh, that's right. And, that and you'll go, holy crap. Stuff that, that in early builds, 14, 15, whatever, oh, which was a bit sort nine, of iffy look. Eight. <laughs> yeah. We can run through. Yeah, no, look, yeah. I mean, and that's the go, power of crap. raw. And, yeah. uh, you know, God love them. That's what they promised and that's what they're delivering. I mean, yeah. This is really significant. I'm just so excited about the HDR stuff looking so great that it's overshadowed this. Yeah, and obviously all the legacy settings, the red space, red color, are still going to be there. Um, but obviously you're going to you're going to want to move on to the new stuff. So coming soon, along with uh, the HDR stuff, and I believe so even maybe before soon. So the Epix ship. I understand on that red color stuff, right? Uh, which is when, Mike? I can't say with any certainty. But I think if I was a betting man, I'd say that the tattoo program has now been greatly reduced in size. Yeah. So reduced, in fact. That it's, uh, it's about to start, I would bet. And I bet that uh, stage two, which is now a much more sort of significant uh, stage for most people. I think yeah. they're going to do, you know, basically... I think the initial plan was to build a lot more tattoos and they'd prove to be vastly expensive to build as a one Yeah, hand-built. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah, um, sure. The world will really wake up to Epic when they hit Stage 2. Stage yeah. 1 will not have any significance because I don't think you'll be able to rent a Stage 1 camera because there'll be so few of no. them. And work. also a testament to the fact, we talked about this before, that I think that things are going so well that you know there's so little bugs, you know, they've nutted a lot of stuff out so early that the whole need for that program is maybe you know, a little bit less and... and um, you know, essentially, rather than being a beta site so much, uh, and, and a tattoo is probably going to be more exactly that—a tattoo that says you're 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 real cool. And yeah, it's going to say real cool. But by the same token, I, you know, and I could be shot down in flames for this, but I would love to have a tattoo. Don't get me wrong, and um, and totally would love to have it. But by the same token, there probably would be some people out there that would actually prefer not to have the prototype tattoo and if they're on a shoot would prefer to have a release version i could actually imagine producers kind of going well that one looks like it's a pre-release model sure but i think they've always said that tattoos you know essentially going to be pretty much hardware there and it's only going to be the little last bits of beta and when you're done being the beta and helping them you are going to be left with a fully functioning camera that should totally differ but it's going to from... look different to a normal oh, yeah. production release one sure. i'm just saying it'll it'll it's be a bit different. like taking one of the, you know, London or something on set yeah. as opposed to a number of 28 or 30 or True. Two or whatever. Anyway, I'm just saying that. Okay. Okay, so let's that shoot is completely. the end of the red news pretty much. And go to Alexa. Unless something's happened while we've been talking. Yeah, Alexa. Obviously, and I, you saw this at IBC, right, Mike? I, mean, I did. Obviously, we've seen a few videos and things. I got uh, to Alexa Plus. hang out on the Alexa... Uh, well, there was a little stage they had set up with ballerinas and uh, belly dancers and stuff yes. uh, in the booth at... Uh, at IBC and and they had uh, I think three or yeah three Alexas live shooting so you could just 
you know, obviously they're on a tripod nailed to the floor, like but so, yeah. you could then shoot with them and, and, uh, like and so, what like you were shooting went up and... to the monitors above your head, um, as in typical trade show style. Yes, but being right. IBC, you could actually get at the cameras and you could get some really good hands-on time. Mm. It was funny because I played with the Alexa at NAB with you, if you remember. Yeah, and so sure. right. I was less concerned about just grabbing my hands on one mm-hmm. as I was seeing the plus option. In plus. And, and a couple of other control. clever things, exactly, which I saw started to see some sniffs of from a couple of people at the same time you were there actually hands-on seeing it. Yeah. What was really interesting is that, uh, well, firstly, I should point out that the Plus is a, as I said, about 9,000, I think, euro um, upgrade. It, that is cheap. For it's what, a side for unit. Ari- yeah. This whole side unit comes off and a whole brand new side unit goes on. And that whole side unit does a bunch of things. And I'll try and give you what they are. But one of them is that it uh, has a base station built into it. Now, this is significant because... I've got uh, stuff that I use with the Canon and uh, other products. For example, the prompter we use, the Pro Prompter, that requires an independent base station. So my iPhone and my iPad talk to an independent base station. If I go out on the field, that's kind of a hassle, right? Because now yeah. I have to flip open a bloody laptop and you walk around. You don't have to do that anymore. You know you don't have to do that anymore. With the promote? Yep. Okay. But, but that's it has point. been a hassle, my as we know. My point is you don't want to have something else as your base station because that's all very well in the studio, but out in the field, yep. you don't want that. You Absolutely. Want you just so want having to... it as the base station is also a much more secure uh, system. So basically you would open up, as we did, your iPhone and you would actually see Alexa as a base station option just like you would see in your home, uh, you know, my router dot whatever. Yeah. And uh, you click that and then you get a, a web page which is the controller for the Alexa. Now... That base station option is just one of several other things that you get by having this uh, plus option on there. So, for example, there's now two outputs uh, instead of one. Yep. There's three controllers for running um, things like uh, remote focus, remote zoom, remote um, exposure. Uh so there's, there's other things, but I think the base station is probably the sexiest one, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. I mean, obviously, there's two the well, parts. Sorry, part, the lens synchronization. Yes, exactly, going through to lens data system. So that uh, works out. Actually, literally via Wi-Fi, you can, with your iPhone, iPad, laptop, anything that's got a browser in it, mm-hmm. you can then log into. A, it's not as sexy as the camera simulator that we will oh, move on, we'll show at the moment, but you literally can sort of set most of the settings yep. of the camera, ISO, shutter speed, all that stuff, essentially control it all, and or then obviously log it, you know, log it for camera sheets, etc., um, and have pretty much all the control that you have on the side of the camera on your on on your laptop or on your iPad. And I've got links to a couple of uh, a couple of videos there, and one of them is actually an Ari official video uh, showing exactly that, showing controlling with an iPad just standing right next to an Alexa Plus. The other interesting thing, I don't know whether they touched on it much at the stand there, Mike, is um, like they have motion position and motion sensors. Right. They didn't cover that actually at the booth, though okay. I think we need to just back up a second while we're still in the base station stuff because yep. as we like to sort of somewhat arrogantly point out, um, the whole point of Red Center is we try not to just go off the press releases. So... I was very keen to get at this because we didn't want to just be repeating stuff off the press release. And I'll come to that later when we discuss something else, which I think is, as a friend of mine said, a victim of the uh, the internet um, echo chamber. But anyway, uh, so the Alexa thing. So I actually used it, and I want to just have a discussion about what that is like because it isn't faultless. Sure. Um, so the Alexa uh, at the trade show had some problems, <laughs> first of which was – it was really funny, actually. The first of which was that we actually went to the um, – uh, 
the booth and there was an iPad there attached to the tripod. And I swear to God, I, I had about eight people I had to hit at Ari before they would get somebody that would actually switch the bugger on for me. So I had it there, like mounted at the side. You can control it off this iPad. And I went, great, can I? I switched it on and they go, we need a password to open it. I go, okay, who has the password? And, you know, 18 people pointed to somebody else. And then I went to the front desk and they will get somebody for you. This was before you. the show opened? No, probably. this is during the show. It's like okay. Full on. I you not think that every person. second person will be coming up no, and they say, didn't. oh, iPad? Most people just nodded when they looked at the iPad. And I didn't. Oh, okay, I was cool. like, oh, can on. I see it, please? Hello. And they were like, yeah, yeah, no, well, uh, anyway, so trans it was in German that was the other thing right so yeah. when they actually got it up I actually managed to get into it right um, it's all in German it was all in German which had a little hard for me to understand sure. um, yeah. what the menus were though I could guess most of them because they were the same as my iPad but anyway uh, it had a big problem at the show with uh, basically Wi-Fi contamination so yep. I don't Absolutely. think that would be a problem in any real world circumstances no. unless you were shooting at a trade show yeah but actually getting the base Steve station Jobs there standing up there telling everyone to turn their wi-fi off exactly and i want to tell you we were uh two feet from the you know mm. camera so because in every the iPad pad was tethered to, was tethered to the camera well tethered with a wire yeah, yeah that's right yeah, so, not, so um, the, yeah so like anti-theft wire, wire. Yeah. yeah um okay so so that was that was the first point the second point is that um, it does update incredibly quickly. So the, the, this was something that I was really concerned about, is that it would all be very well if these had controls on it, but if the controls took a long time to react between yeah. the camera and the controller, it would be virtually useless. Well, I guess it has to have a bit of a handshake between the two so that when you're seeing something... Or, because one of the things about the Alexa is that, and you know, it will be updated, I'm sure, in the new the Alexa, the, the, new, uh, the optical version when they do that, is that there's no real display on the operator side. A focus puller on the, you know, the traditional side on the left-hand side of the camera has no idea what the shutter speed is. If they can literally pop open their iPhone and double-check that the camera is at 100, 172.8 at 24 frames a second, ISO, whatever, you know, terrific. I mean, I know it's silly to walk, not be able to walk around the other side of the camera, but if you can there, you control this stuff just literally from from your pocket, then that's just that's almost as good. Yeah, no, totally, I agree with you. And um, I think the other thing about it is that uh, it's not properly working because sure. there's a unit underneath. Now, I'm going to give this to uh, Jason to put in the show notes, um, but there was a little kind of oh, yeah. unit that sat actually underneath the um, the camera. Now, I don't have a very good photo of it. I tried yep. getting photos. It was really yep. hard. There's a better look of it. Oh, one of the videos I've got a link to on the Ethernet port. Yeah. Yeah. On the bottom of the camera, essentially, it's it's a it's a like a nut. It's a, a limo. It's a limo plug. This isn't some sort of NAF kind of thing, like on the back of your, you know, your router. Um, but it adapts to an Ethernet port. Essentially, you can then plug that directly. You don't have to go wireless. You can go wired, and that can obviously yeah. also then go into a separate. I think they also had like a separate hand controller. There's a separate remote control, right. an Ari piece of kit, right. which links into that Ethernet port as well. So it can do the same as the iPad, iPhone thing. I, I Sorry, I'm jumping from, ahead. My no, I was going to say, I must admit, from my point of view, we actually got it working because I was determined to, as I say, not sit here with you and do this just off the press release. Yeah. So I just pestered them until they got it working. We actually found it easier to get an iPhone right. uh, running with it than an iPad, even yeah. though we had an iPad there right you know, beside it. Yeah. Don't ask me why that is. But you can see quite clearly the layout on this. And again, we'll put this in the show notes. You know, it has um, everything from the shutter to the color temperature to the ASA. Look, it's a, it's, yeah, it's a little can, hard to read. You can roll it. You can roll small. the camera. Yeah. It's terrific. Um, but it's, you know, it's a, a, a really significant piece of kit, just not 
quite production ready yet. Sure, um, it's not it's not released yet. I believe yeah. December or yeah. something. Yeah, I think this is all the Alexa Plus is out by December. Obviously, as we have seen with the rapid, rapid way that Alexa has progressed rapidly, you know, from when we first saw it, yeah. from what I from my interview pre uh, um, um, NAB, and then what we saw at NAB, and then what we've saw like literally a month later being released, and then what we're seeing now another whole new camera system, literally in a matter of months. It's leaps and bounds. So, you know, December is, you know, like light years for but them. The other thing on the Alexa, just, well, actually, finish up this because there's one other thing yep. on the Alexa that's an add on. Do you want to talk any more about the actual. Release, release? Uh, no, no, no. Well, we, we'll get, there's a little bit of another piece of software that links well, to that, which I, we'll get to in a sec. Because what I wanted to say is that the other thing that was hugely interesting to me is the Codex box. Right. Because what we want, of course, is an on-board, on-board recorder for the, um, for the signal. And we want that on-board recorder to be able to uh, give us a really good uh, working system for being able to record what's happening with the, um, the camera itself. Now, the Codex to box... record Ari Raw. To record Addy Raw. Yeah. yeah. Now, so you get a lot of people talking about the Arri and shooting with it and stuff. Most people haven't developed up the raw workflow uh, at all, quite yeah. frankly. Um, so this is what I was really interested in, the, the raw workflow. So I'm not saying that, just to be really clear about this, the next bit of this conversation is all about a complex raw workflow, not the standard, um, as I said, there were four options for doing it. You know, there's the ProRes one, which yep. on the uh, standard direct to edit one there's the hd onto tape there's the hd to an onboard recorder and then there's the ARRI raw to an onboard recorder and this is the one that i want to talk about the fourth of those options mm. okay so uh so the codex box i thought was really impressive it has a clip-on side unit to it as i think we saw it in ab yeah um which is all very cool the design of this box is just very very yeah. clever and bulletproof it gives you another uh, effectively um led and that pops off as a remote control terribly i'm really surprised these were still on the cameras at the show because i was just waiting for someone to walk up and walk off with it i think most people didn't realize that it's unclipped yeah um i got to talk to uh uh mark dando who is um for me remember was with 5d uh, back in the day right he's now uh, with codex and we were actually looking at the ARRI raw files and again i'll give this to jace mm-hmm. not many people around this part of the stand because it was so new they'd shot this on the thursday and I was talking to them on Saturday, yep. and this is one of the first times that they'd got the Codex uh, workflow running. But basically what you had is um, the little Codex uh, thing that looks like what we described it's as like, like an a, SSD. But no, it's a, the unit itself is kind of like sure. uh, two squat paperbacks or four or six packets of cigarettes, that kind of size thing. And it clips onto this um, desktop transfer station, and then it comes into a Mac, and then in the Mac you have the ability to bring stuff up. And when you first bring it in, it comes in as a raw file. That looks very clean and simple way of bringing it, it in. It is it so very gorgeous. neat. Yeah, it's really nice. And we're going to do a bunch more with Codex because I think this is really significant. Yeah. I think this is the thing that uh, makes Ari, you know, this is the sort of missing heavy-duty, hardcore component that really um, is going to matter a lot. So, obviously, I mean, we've seen the, the ProBus files, and they're great. So, what's the advantage? I mean, is there a dynamic range advantage? Well, for some, the files are bigger than HD. They're no longer 1920 by 1080. They're, um, they're at the... Sure. So, that actually, is a little bit of wiggle Of course. Room. So, anything at the moment, if you're recording to the S by S card in ProRes, that is all HD. That maxes out at HD, yeah. 
I yes, think. it's not yeah. twenty by ten. Yeah, so if you want to go higher, go to the two and a half, whatever it is, two seven yeah. five, whatever, yeah. whatever the, the maximum. Somebody calls it three K, and I don't. No, but uh, yeah. what? To, so obviously, to get the full the full res of the camera, to be able to downscale it to HD, and I guess to get higher dynamic range and obviously less compression. Do they? Was there any mention of what the difference was in terms of dynamic range? Well, now two, I wonder. So now, what was significant about this, and uh, is that this is. Um, uh, like so new that you need the glue tools part of it right. for the process to get from the raw files to the pretty pictures. Now, the glue which is tools, an ARRI, ARRI raw trans- plug-in. Plug-in, yeah. So the glue tools has been around for a while. It's really yep. good stuff, but it wasn't yet fully running. So the, the loop through from Codex to production ready requires this software, which they were like saying was going to be Wednesday. So right. if you imagine they shot this on Thursday, it, they had it fully loading into the workstations and you could play the sh- clips back and look at them on a on an Apple. It's just a, basically an Apple um, uh, set up this. But that then needed the glue tool stuff to take the Arri Raw and turn it into whatever I wanted mm-hmm. kind of thing. And that was you still need to do three that. days off being maybe ready to go. Okay. So we're going to do a lot more so and follow this work through. So you still do need that. Because, yeah, because at this stage, the codex box is logging stuff, which I'm going to come to in a second, but it's not handing off the files. Because codex, don't forget, isn't, isn't Red Cine X. It's not, it's not an app like Storm is. It's a hardware recording. It's just literally grab a file, here's the file. Just data except in, data out. It, yes, absolutely. Except it's the key to the um, data flow that we were talking about with the lensing. Right. So, so the thing about this is that if you think about it, if you're recording out to you know standard cards for 1920 by 1080, yep. that isn't giving you metadata flows the way a raw file workflow can. So what the Codex guys and Aria are all working on is this being the path for the full-on, I want tons of information from my lens running through and, and decoding out. And so the metadata that uh, would exist that we would take for, for granted in a red thing happens through this path so the codex is supporting all of the metadata that can be spat out and don't forget there's a lot of stuff you can do like logging good takes logging ng takes a bunch of stuff like that yeah that's all built into this so it's, it's having extra plugins and stuff so, so imagine they're no, going no, to try and get rid of that i mean the whole glue tools thing they're going to try and streamline it all is that the well, idea well it's going to be built into this one workflow i just solution. want it to be not messy well, I don't it's think it will, but you, you've got to expect a price for going raw. I mean, this is... Yeah. Well, hang on. This is the Aperture or Lightroom to the yeah. raw workflow, right? Sure. I mean, the uh, H2, 6, H1920 by 1080 is the equivalent of the JPEG in the stills world. To use I analogy. guess so. And to be able to use Lightroom, whatever, essentially, you then need the stroke Adobe, whatever, or... Well, you need you Lightroom. Need, you, but you need, but you need, you need the, something. You need, also need the raw plugins. You do need that raw... Plug-in, don't like you? Codex is half the problem. Codex gets you the files from the hard disk recorder, the solid state recorder kind of thing, yep. onto the Mac, but I then need to process them in the same way that I transfer files from a card reader to my Mac and then yeah. I process them in Lightroom. Yeah. But I want that control, right? Because that gives me the magic to be able to do different color spaces, different you know, curves, all the stuff that I want. So yeah. I don't think it's unreasonable. Uh, well, be- and it's going to be more complicated than the other. But then yeah. if you've got the other, isn't this for the case where you want it? I mean, you know, there's nothing stopping you just doing a straight 1920 by 1080 path. This mm. is the other. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, I just, if you want, if you, if you want to get that higher res, you want, as I say, the ability to, to crop uh, later in post, even if you don't want to go to a full DI. 
um, and you want to have the full dynamic range. I just want it to make it, you know, it's all about just making it as uncomplicated as possible so that editors aren't, you know, there's not, you know, I've been in this path a dozen million times. It's just, you know, it's all about making it easy for me. If I suggest a certain camera that, you know, people don't ring me up and say, Jace, you know, you said this was something worth trying and now my editor's ringing me up with a pain and our schedule's shifting and da-da-da. We're just, it's all, what it, what it's well, all about. Well, this is what I would expect would happen. You would shoot with this and you want to do some effects work then this would be the path for getting the DPXs to the effects guys. You're not going to want to take the 1920 by 1080 and go yeah, that no, way. You want to take these. And it would absolutely. be easy to do that because the whole point yeah. of the codex thing is to simplify that workflow. But, I mean, if you're shooting a feature and Lord only knows the codex guys are involved with shooting a bunch of features, yeah. not least of which is the Scorsese 3D thing. Yeah, almost a ton of things. Yeah. Um, you're going to want this workflow. But I mm. don't... I don't have a problem with what you're saying, but I think you've got that, right? You've got the easy path. Yeah. But if you want to go aggressive because the shot was wrongly exposed because you needed to do effects work, green screen, whatever, mm. then mm. this is how you get out the raw files. Yeah, um, sure. Okay. And there's always going to be a cost for doing that because it's, the cost is the flexibility. I mean, you can't be flexible and be one button press. Well, just looking at it now, seeing, it, the, 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 seeing all this, I'm sure they're going to make it as, as least painful as possible and also what we're talking about is stuff that is as we speak coming to fruition so as yeah, i said we can do absolutely. a lot more on this because i don't think we should be judging the raw workflow of no. the ARRI codex stuff yeah today yeah we should sure. be saying wow look at yep. the stuff it's happening so just rest assured we'll tackle it when we get our hands on codex and uh, there's alexis here now in town they're all got their they've all, they've all come out of that sort of beta period where the, now the onboard recording system all now works firmware's all been updated they're out there shooting, and uh, yeah, only a matter of time till we get our hands on one and have a bit of a play with this. Interestingly, the Codex box sitting on top of that Alexa is probably worth more than the Alexa itself. <laughs> the, just while we're there, there was some other stuff at uh, IBC that we should just touch on. There was a um, Astro Design 4K camera, which I couldn't get much information about other than Another I was told to come back and speak to Hirajiki Kusharari from Astro. Yep. He wasn't around, and I couldn't find him. Um, but there was a 4K camera running, cool. and the 4K camera was like a. Uh, looks very scientific. Looks like a yeah, it looks Small like chip. a phantom kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And then it was running to this nice 56 inch 4K 4K monitor monitor, mm. uh, which was also by Astro. 4K is definitely going to be the new HD. Yeah, it's definitely going that way. And uh, so, yeah, people rapidly are going to have to start thinking about how we acquire this stuff and our workflow. But we've been down that, that, that path a few times as well. Yeah. Sooner or later, you know, very, very, yeah, there's the iPad on the thing. So, yeah. Um, so, terrific. One other little Alexa thing is that there's a, if you want to, you know, you know you're going to be doing a shoot with one and want to get your hands on one or you're an Alexa, uh, you're a camera assistant, first AC, even if you just want to have a play and get an idea of uh, how, how that whole menu system works, there's a terrific, on Ari's website, there's a terrific, uh, essentially a camera simulator, uh, entirely simulating the whole front side, uh, smart side of, of an Alexa. Um, looks exactly like you know all, all the panels and knobs and things are exactly correct, and you can basically click around, turn the jog jog shuttle knobs, and adjust everything, and get an idea of how the menu layout. And not that it's very complicated, but it's you know good to certainly have a bit of a hands-on before you really have hands-on. Okay, so uh, that is... well, can we just it's still just l- leveraging off the uh, Alexa and wireless is yes. uh, our very good friends at 
uh, uh, Chemical Wedding, who, uh, as we know, make uh, the Helios um, director's app viewfinder. and director's uh, Artemis director's viewfinder. I've now got a, um, I guess it's sort of a, just yet another depth of field app. However, this one soon, <laughs> and, and it's an expensive one, but it will soon uh, seem really uh, cheap when because uh, essentially the guys have. Uh, Got their hands on the uh, uh, API and the SDK for for Ari and are in the works. I'm I'm allowed to say that they have got uh, in the works uh, full Wi-Fi connection between this very cool app and and the Alexa. And you'll be able to control the camera and all of the LDS, all the lens settings, uh, depth of field. As you change the focus on the camera, it's going to read through back to your app and you're literally going to be holding on your hand on your iPhone or iPad showing the uh, active uh, depth of field, literally showing you um, with focus points where where your near and far depth of field is, uh, all the exposure compensation. You're able to control physically, do all the settings here on this app, and it'll go through not just control but also feedback from Alexa. And there's some, it's a beautiful app, and there's a, again, like all their other apps, it's gorgeously designed, very clever. And um, there nice is a, there is a lot in this app. One of the fantastic things about it is that for a uh, this this will be if you're shooting with Alexa, and I'm presuming once we get you know Wi-Fi and wireless stuff happening with Epic, this will be the death of you know printed handwritten camera notes. There's a whole log logging side of this that basically will log every single shot, the depth, uh, the, the depth of field, the, the focus settings, the lens, what lens was on um, the shot itself, and you'll be able to sort of have it all logged in your. Uh, logged, logged in your iPhone if you have an email it's straight from there off off to the editors so I think that's fantastic as someone who's done 10 years of camera sheets they can just go piss off this is just <laughs> awesome uh, any kind of paper paperwork and me uh, I wish this was around like a whole ton of crap this is um, just sensational so look again links to that in the show notes it is expensive at the moment as I say but if, if this is your gig um, and you work a lot with these cameras this is it's going to be a very very uh, welcome app soon so uh, thanks to Toby Evitz from Chemical Wedding for showing that and for giving the inside on inside track on what this is going to be able to do uh, very clever and also, obviously, uh, sorry, go ahead. You no, no, yeah, no, no, I've, I forgot what I was going to say. Anyway, I was just moving on. I was stunned that we were already up to an hour, and um, <laughs> and we haven't even inserted the uh, interview interviews yet. in. So I tell you what, we're going to do. We we've got some gear to discuss. Um, I'm going to move some of it to next week, yeah, not least of which is the uh, Ninja, which uh, John Montgomery recorded an interview with those guys um, from IBC, but it's not yeah. coming out till December, so we yeah. can move that back. But that's an interesting solid state recorder from the uh, HDMI output of a. Um, you know, SLR. Yeah, so that's atomos.com, A-T-O-M-O-S. You can check it out in the meantime, but we have an in-depth interview, and we'll have a bit more of a heads-up on which cameras it's are going to work It's very hard to find with. them at IBC. I just What's that? Points to John. I searched for them after <laughs> you sent me an email, and yeah. I couldn't find them, and John happened to be, I think, at the Assimilate booth looking at Scratch, and turned yeah. around, they were standing beside him, and you went, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it should be interesting. But we do need to mention one other piece of gear before we get to the Red Room, and this is our last thing before the interview, yeah. um, because Jason is very proud holding oh, yes. in his hand yes. a little thing, a little this pathetic is... little thing. I mean, a little thing. As an owner of a 7-inch monitor, you're you know, definitely going to start poo-pooing my 5.6-inch, are you? Okay, so let's just back up for a second. We are talking about monitors that we are both using on SLRs. I have a Marshall, which I adore. How and was you that on your else. shoot, by the way, lugging a 7-inch monitor around on top of a camera? Okay, Heavy. So- 
and big and in the way. Not Fantastic, heavy. and I've used them a lot, oh, and I've used no, them on rares. And shut up. No, it was magnificent. And I'll tell you why it was magnificent. I was pulling focus on the... I know. I was operating and pulling focus. And it was, I couldn't have done it without it. It was just... Yeah. Yeah. Invaluable, and also I wasn't going handheld like you because I like tripods, unlike you. So you're operating off a tripod, which is obviously good. Doesn't really matter how big your monitor is. You, t- like yeah, with, and they've got a director. You've know, got two, sometimes three cameras Watching operating. Your shoulder. The director's looking at what's going on, judging you know stuff from it. Yep. I'm trying to judge focus, and sometimes we had four actors, and you know the blocking on four actors in a drama comedy scene is quite complicated. Yeah, it was superb. Um, of course, I was running it. I could run it off batteries. I tended to run because we were in the studio off um, off oh, power. Yep, and that worked really well. Good plugs on it. Good everything else on it. The only thing I would say is that I was. We were also running a Marshall using the V lock uh, option to take um, a signal that would gone through a um, Black Magic box yep. and then converted for a split for dual feeds and mm. then into it because that is sdi and hdmi yes and yep. i've and i was running just the hdmi version the hdmi version ran much better for me because the amount of time it takes for the marshal to kind of work out the signal when it's gone through the black magic path is just long enough to be annoying yeah whereas the hdmi version is terrific Talking as long as you've got the, the good fa- the 5d switches resolution as you go from standby to playback yeah. to um, which causes the record black magic to Cough and splutter is probably the best way to describe it. I mean, just long enough to be annoying. Um, I've got to say, though, you want really good leads. Um, John bought me some a set of fabulous HDMI leads uh, in Chicago, mm-hmm. and they're really solid, and everyone ended up borrowing my leads on set because you know, it was just that simple. One of those few occasions where a lead matters. Yeah. Um, because it's not a very professional coupling. But without that... With the HDMI just going straight into the camera, it was handling the re- resolution changes. Happening. Yeah, spotless. Yeah. I mean, it's a little momentary. You know, sure, of course, they all do button that. on, button off. But yeah, oh, totally great, and you know, invaluable. And quite frankly, we were discussing this, John and I, in, in IBC because there were lots of smaller ones. I know you're about to mm. discuss yours. Yeah, if it got a lot smaller than that, and I don't care how light it would be. I was starting to be like, well, I need the picture bigger or at least high res. Now, there's a new version of the Marshall that's double the resolution, which would be yes. huge. A seven inch, yes, which is... But having said that, I'm really happy quite with mine. Right. Yep. Uh, but there's a 5.6 as well, and I don't know I want 5.6 because that sounds good, but I actually want the size. But anyway, then right, there's yours. You can play with it while I talk about it. Well, that, But I was talking about, isn't there a 5.6 Marshall? Yes, it's yeah, coming. But this not is not out yet. But this is, this is out, so this one wins. This one uh, this is very <laughs> nicely made. It's, out. it's beautifully made. It's all machined out of a piece, Who a solid piece of aluminium. This? this is the small HD uh, DP6 um, SLR. Uh, anyone who's been following me on Twitter has been probably putting up with my sort of me crapping on endlessly about this monitor because I just love it. It's my first one, so now you're you know, running yours off Canon batteries. It has I a battery plate at the bottom, yet off. that runs off uh, two. Well, it can actually run on one battery, but that runs forever on those two oh, batteries, four or five hours. Off? Yet that plate comes off, and then you can just run it directly off DTAP. You can run it off uh, mm-hmm. its nice. own small HD batteries, which run for about four hours. It um, uh, it has a ton of batteries. It goes from 5 volts to like 18 volts or so. And then there's also little step-down leads that'll let you run it off for 24 volt. You can pull that off if you like. Good luck getting that back on or pulling it off in the first place. Go for it. So there's also this acrylic kind of... Go for it. <laughs> or leave it. 
It's radio. Stop talking about what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, so um, that is m- the highest resolution sort of of these monitors of the class. It's about twelve. It's twelve eighty by eight hundred. Your monitor mic is eight hundred by four eighty. Admittedly, the cameras themselves don't spit out fantastic resolution, but hey, give me everything there is. It doesn't necessarily have to run off of an SLR. HDMI comes out perfectly out of the side of the red, so you can definitely use this with a red. Uh, There's an HDMI and SDI, HD-SDI version. This is just the HDMI version, Um, $8.99 for HDMI only, so it's reasonably expensive-ish, but... um, it's got four mounting points all around. Every corner's got, got quarter-inch, uh, quarter-twenty threads on it. Runs for four hours on just on a couple of those batteries. It has a fantastic... Um, so you can fl- It's really customizable, and the firmware keeps updating all the time. There's, you can flip the images, flip the menus. It's got a fantastic focus assist uh, system, whereby you can actually... It has this really nice... Which, essentially, the, the Marshall does have one of okay, those. Okay, now, this is, again... Let's go off the press release for a second. Sure. Do you actually use the focus assist? Because I've got to tell you, the focus assist in the Marshall yep. is... Absolutely, completely and utterly no use to me whatsoever. Yeah, that's why they have a, another system. They have two systems. They have one similar to the Marshall system whereby I think that the method you're talking about is where the image almost so goes like a thermal, goes all red. It goes and all grey and then it has red lines on it. Red lines for and what is sharp. Well, yeah, but it's yeah. edge detection. The trouble is its idea of sharps and the director's would be the difference between me getting hit with a large stick and not. How do you mean? There's just no way that you would use its indicator of what is sharp to be acceptable to what is sharp. Yep. It's, it's, yes, it's not completely out of focus, but on a SLR, you know yourself, well, in any camera, <laughs> there is no sharp and not sharp. There's a gradient of going to softness. Sure. And the point at which this thing is telling you sharps on the Marshall is so wobbly and broad in its definition yep. that you would not find it acceptable when reviewing rushes. Okay. You'd say, oh, it was sharp as far as the, you know, focus assist was concerned, and the director said, I don't give a rat, it's bloody soft, you dickhead. Well, pretty much, your, however that is now, you're stuffed with it, that's it, you're locked in. This stuck. is evolving, I've had two or three versions of firmware, I'm actually, small HD, for me, are a real company that is like this little, I mean, there's nothing against Marshlink, they're fantastic and they're doing some amazing products and their stuff's brilliant, I've never had an issue with their stuff. I would actually say that Marshall is an almost de facto industry standard. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But I'm not taking well, anything away from small no. HD. I just small HD are like this little engine that could. This is like you know cottage industry that's growing, and it's like just like guys getting together to try and tackle the big boys and and doing doing a fantastic job. And they're listening to people. If you've got an interesting idea about the firmware or or functions, these guys are doing it. There's so it has on-screen menus because it doesn't have any knobs. Yep, it has it has like sort of jog shuttle kind of thing there to bring up all the menus. You can sort of uh, adjust all your uh, color biases okay. it has a, a custom scale function where you can actually literally fill the screen with your image or if there's any weird kind of uh, ratios going on yep. with your your input you can sort of stretch it out scale it up and everything is all on um, presets so literally you have you know a dozen presets where everything if you're in preset three and change something it stays with preset three it has um, a really fantastic uh, 5d custom scaling thing designed for the 5d whereby it it obviously it detects all the modes and it gives you the maximum screen real estate no stuff all around the outside blows it up and all through all its modes of playback record standby okay so it's just really really great for the 5d (laughs) 
Um, where else can I go? Um, I know. I think it's great. The I, Focus Assist is a lot better. They have two okay. modes of the Focus Assist. I, they wanna, have one like I, the I Marshall. Want, I want to try this before. Yes, absolutely. You actually use it though? Yeah, that's terrific. Yeah, I've had a play. No, not played. You actually would use it? Like you're down at the... At the I, well, let me explain the two modes. One of them is, is very much like the Marshalls where the, the whole screen goes kind of like red and then you have this... Um, the crap the, mode. That, okay, we'll call it crap mode. I don't think it's that bad. But yes, it's it the, the, the less right. usable. And then it's what they unusable. have is essentially um, uh, a normal... Uh, I guess, like, what do they call it? They call it peaking, I think, which is... The image looks fine, except they just, I guess it's edge detect over the top of a normal image. So it's quite usable. Directors can watch it over your shoulder. So you can have it switched on while you shoot. Um, and it's sort of essentially the normal mode, but with this little edge detect feature around the outside. You can choose to use it or not. I found just using the stuff by itself is really great. The other thing is obviously you can just turn the bright, turn the, turn the sharpness right up as well which is almost just enhancing the sharpness and that does a really great job by itself just literally that's not adding anything weird or doing any of these sort of functions you're not so much of a fan about but it's just actually enhancing the sharpness that is is there so so on their website yes they list the dp6 yes 5.6 inch field monitor yes actually out of stock because yes, they're popular. Because it's popular or it's but just there's two released. prices. There's a $900 and then there's like a $1,200. Yep. What's the difference between the two? Uh, one is SDR, HD, SDI and HDMI. Okay. And there is also an upgrade path coming so that if you bought an HDMI now and you decide you want to go SDI, you can send the monitor back and have that adapted. As you can see at the top there, okay. there's, there's the spot where the socket so should This is go. what I would say about this. This is like, yep. looks like a great monitor. I just so love my Marshall that... I don't need to sell it and buy that one. Oh, of course. Absolutely. But uh, I, enjoy, I will look you forward to the next production. You want to go with one that's much lower resolution and not as bright and bigger, uh, I love not as Marshall. flexible. Yeah, no, it's, it's terrific. What I love about it is that all the buttons are right there. It's terrific. Just one touch for everything. And it is still, you know, you can you know, adjust everything. It's, you know, it's terrific. But this is... Looks good. This goes up to 11. It goes up to 11. Sure. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Enough about my rant. No, uh, no, I think it's great. I'm glad uh, and there is a uh, false. There's a false. Happy together. <laughs> there's a false color mode coming as well, and histograms and a few other things. So it's it's an evolving thing, but it's very very excellent. You know, very usable at the moment. So, uh, and I am not uh, crapping on like this because I got some kind of free deal or freebie. I paid no, no, cold no, no, hard cash for the thing. Like it. So I just uh, I just I, I like the fact that they're interactive. You can email them with suggestions okay. and. Uh, we're at an hour, an hour twenty minutes on the room, and I've got a whole thing to do on the five uh, D to RGB. So, and we haven't even talked about your shoot. Well, I don't think we're going to get a chance. So let's do your uh, red room, and hopefully, you guys listening will uh, take pity on us and keep listening, because I know we're running over. But there you go. And so, this is Tim Palmer. Uh, now, the BBC has, of course, Coronation Street. I have shot on the streets of Coronation, Coronation Street. Street. Of course, not for Coronation Street, but for no. Red Dwarf. Sure, um, but. This is... In Bolton uh, or whatever they are. Sorry? In Bolton or whatever they are. They're the classic, you know... Manchester. Back back. Manchester. But it, I've got to tell you, um, Coronation Street is an institution if you're English. If you're an American, this is uh, a, a very, very, very much loved uh, sort of soap, soap drama, yeah. but it's not a um, daytime jump out of bed into each other's arms kind of soap. It's... It's a little bit more realistic than that. Yeah, and it is it, it is an institution. So much so that this program was um, brought to the BBC, which is the road to Coronation Street. 
I've seen uh, not the show, but I've seen the trailers and stuff about it. A lot of people were talking about it when I was in England, mm. um, and it was shot on the 5D. So uh, you caught up with Tim via Skype. Yep. And uh, let's cross that interview now. Uh, I'm talking to Tim Palmer, DP on Corrie, the road to Cor- Coronation Street, uh, which by the time we hear this has already aired on the Thursday, the 16th of September on BBC4. Uh, now, you're no stranger to drama and series and having shot the brilliant Life on Mars and Ashes to Ashes, Robin Hood, Cold Feet, Wire in the Blood, Silent Witness, blah, 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 which is like a who's who of British drama. But you're also no stranger to shooting DSLRs. No, I've been... Uh, well, I should say that my back, very early background was as a stills photographer, so I'm still passionately keen on anything photographic, camera-wise, and... Um, as soon as Canon announced their 5D Mark II with HD capability, I knew that there would be a tremendous amount of potential in our world to take advantage of this because the camera chip size offers you that um, extraordinary depth of field, which creatively is a real asset to our craft. I was excited about exploring that and that well this was two years ago and um i've done everything i can to 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 experiment and test and play with the cameras over that time luckily it's it's paid off and turned into some interesting well-paid work that's you know broken new browns and ground in um british television now so when this project came up, uh, which for those who don't know is, uh, I guess, the history of the beginning of, of Coronation Street, one of the most famous uh, TVs, ongoing and still going TV series on British television, when this project came up uh, and the budget issues that were attached to it, whose big idea was it to tackle the might of the BBC and suggest shooting it on uh, DSLRs? I guess that was yours. Well, it, it actually was myself and, and the director mutually. We both we met one another without having met before and within five minutes of first meeting we both almost simultaneously suggested trying to shoot it on on a dslr because he'd had some very recently he'd had some extremely limited experience playing around with one and he loved it and i just shot a commercial on it and it was a it was a dramatic it was an, a narrative-based commercial like a drama people real scenarios in a nightclub home, office, all the types of places you usually encounter when you shoot dramatic fiction. And I, it worked very well, and I knew, based on that experience, that on a long-form drama, it would be able to handle the, um, the very varieties of scenarios you might encounter quite ably. So I suggested it, and we, we both went off to the BBC and tried to persuade them to let us use it. Let's, let's talk about the battle itself, I guess you could call it. And uh, for those that don't know how it works, there is an approved list, I guess, that the BBC has of which camera systems you can and can't use with one of their projects. Can you take us through how that works and what were the stages to getting the camera approved or maybe semi-approved? Semi-approved, yes. That's the, that's the, um, the apt word. Well, yes, the BBC are very strict with what is on their approved list of high-definition platforms. I think their their main concern, quite justifiably, is that um, even though pictures straight out of the camera can look fantastic, by the time 
it's gone through the compression that's required for broadcast. Any small artifacts and erroneous picture quality issues can be magnified uh, many, many times. And they, they went through this process with the RED camera a couple of years ago and were very reluctant to use it. But finally, they, they bowed down in a face of adversity and saw that the pic camera delivered very good pictures. So we were at the the cold face, so to speak, with a 5D, because they've, ne they've never really looked at it properly at all and uh, effectively laughed at us and said, well, there's absolutely no way you can use this. It's just a stills camera. The compression that it renders the files at is nowhere near the the standards we require, et cetera, et cetera. So I said to them, well, look, just, you know, let's shoot some tests, have a look at it, see what you think. So we shot some tests and... Um, they said, well, actually, the picture is very good. We don't quite understand why it's that good, but it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, conform with any of the paperwork, so to speak, but it's a good picture. However, there are some serious aliasing and Moira issues that, that will fail this on, um, on broadcast, so we still can't let you use it unless you do further tests. Right. So at this point, it was actually two days before we were to start principal photography on the show, and there wasn't time to do more. There physically wasn't enough time to do more tests, send them back to the BBC, wait for approval, etc. So I guess you just went ahead and shot tests as you went. <laughs> well, what there's this sort of grey area, um, which is that any BBC production, you're allowed to shoot. You're allowed to shoot. 25% or less of a production on, on a non-approved format. Right. So, you know, you could shoot it on Super 8, you could shoot it on an iPhone, you could do whatever, but there is this 25% limit. So the producer said, well, look, let's just start shooting, and hopefully by the time we get to our 25% cutoff, they'll have signed off on it. So we just started filming. And meanwhile, I did, I did do some more tests, and I found that I'd been using the camera with the all the internal menus in their default mode. Right, which yeah. Which I hadn't gone into the bowels of the menus that deeply, but anyway, I did find it, and I wound the detail all the way down, and I wound the contrast all the way down, and that just seemed to have a magically transformative effect on all the aliasing. Just, it really did vanish overnight. So I, we were sh filming, everything was looking good. We didn't, we weren't hearing back from the BBC, obviously they were getting their rushes every every day and actually we did get to the 25 percent um, cutoff point after four days and the producer said well look we can't use this camera anymore you have to switch to something else until we hear any more so we we changed the whole camera system overnight to a sony 750 with a pro 35 and zeiss um super speeds to try and emulate the look as much as we could and uh, we shot for two days on that finally heard hearing back from the bbc saying but you know all this stuff you've been shooting the last two days it doesn't look nearly as good as the 5d keep using the 5d go back to it finish the show <laughs> sorry so the sony 750 that is a um, hd cam it's the precursor to the 900 so right i mean just to say i thought it looked pretty, i mean it did look very nice and to be perfectly honest when you're watching the film you, you really can't unless you're looking for the special depth of field uh, look of the 5D, you can't really tell the difference. So you were using 35mm um, um, primes on a depth of field adapter on front of the Sony? Yes, exactly. Right, so it would have looked reasonably similar. It all intercut seamlessly. It's not a problem at all, but it was just quite interesting that the, the BBC actually 
said that the 5D material was much sharper and clearer. I guess you sort of got a green light then. Yeah, then we got the green light and we finished the show. So probably I'd say about 15 to 20% of the program is shot on the 750. So obviously it is a look that's worth fighting for and one that's not just shallow depth of field for shallow depth of field's sake. There is this real creative gain in there somehow that's a bit hard to put your finger on. I think the great benefit of the camera is so much to do with the physical size of it, the small physical size of it, and how unintrusive it is compared to the normal monstrous production cine or HD cameras that you use by the time they're all fully loaded with all the accessories, mat boxes, miles and miles of cables, etc. It is just, it, it's quite a beast. And I think, you know, they're getting bigger and bigger. Certainly when I started out on filming on SR2s, cameras were tiny and compact and neat and you could put them anywhere. And yeah. Nowadays, filming on D21s and Genesis, etc., F35s, it's such a palaver to move around. But anyway, the, the director came from a... He was very keen to get back to the sort of basics of the way he enjoyed working when he started out. And, and to be honest, so did I. And we both felt that, apart from the fact that this particular mm -hmm. camera delivers such stupendous picture quality it would provide an opportunity to work in a very discreet, unobtrusive um, way that would put the actors at ease, enable us to move around the small sets very quickly, not having to move furniture every time you wanted to do a reverse, fitting into tight corners. And that really was truly borne out in the, uh, in the process of making our film. We were able to do all of the above. A reminder to the folks that don't necessarily know the director involved, this, you're not really essentially working with some film clip director here. This is Charles Sturridge, is no. you know, an, an icon of British, British TV and drama directing. Indeed, he directed the original Brideshead Revisited series. That was his first job, I think, at the age of 25. He directed 18 hours of television that's gone on to make history. But since then, he... He's made big, big Hollywood movies, big miniseries, or he, he can pick and choose whatever he wants to do. Um, but uh, yet, here's a here's a director who's so excited about the job that he does and so eager to embrace anything new himself that when this very low budget project came along. He wanted to do it just to, apart from being passionate about the subject matter, because he could also see that it would be an opportunity for, for him to break some new ground as well, and that's why he had he himself had been looking into the five D, because uh, he was keen to return to the roots of the way he made films when he started out in a very small, intimate way, but mm. at the same time making big pictures with a big palette. So you didn't just have the camera, you had obviously opted up with O'Connor 2575s and monitors and follow focuses and all that sort of stuff. So was there a real budget saving at all going that way? Was I mean was that one of the decisions? No. Not not on the not on the face of in terms of camera hire, etc. To be honest, the the production company got such a good deal on the seven fifty because the facility that supplied it is part of the 
production company, if you see what I mean. So there's all sorts of deals to get cameras, etc. So that there was no, I'd say there was no saving money-wise on the physical hire of the equipment, but there was big saving money-wise in terms of the time that we saved shooting with the camera. And I'd say also in terms of lighting, there was big lighting savings as well, because I found the camera extremely good at, this is from testing and using it, it's extremely good at handling highlights much, much better than standard broadcast HD cameras. So I was able to work with windows in a way that I would not have been able to normally without NDing and more lighting inside, etc., etc. Yeah, I know you've mentioned the differences in lighting with this camera versus what you're used to. Shooting in the classic gold Coronation Street style uh, back-to-back houses in Bolton, heading out there with 2.5Ks instead of when you shot there for life on Mars with 18Ks and Towers and Jennies. I mean, if there'd been the budget on this, I would have had an 18K on a Condor and Jennies, but there wasn't the budget, simply wasn't. We We didn't have a generator when we went on location. And I did sort of know that I'd be able to get away with it with a two and a half on a little scaff tower. And it, and it looks fantastic. It really does. And uh, that was with the camera rated at 640 ASA, which right. is the only time I pushed it. I mean, that would have been utterly impossible using the Pro 35 setup. Just not, I wouldn't have even been remotely close to being able to do that because working with the 750 pro 35 etc etc you lose stop and a half at least of light with the adapter and then you need to shoot at a decent stop to get anything get the lenses working well so it's always a fallacy to say well you know you're shooting on this format so you don't you don't need any lighting because it shoots you always need to light things even though it was the same type of lighting there was just less of it if that makes sense so are still working same contrast ratios, you know, overexposing, you know, filling the shadows to a certain extent, except to a certain amount that, that, that I would normally. But I said I could do it with a 2.5 rather than an 18. Okay, so I'll jump back to camera gear if I can, just technically. Uh, what sort of lenses you were shooting with, what gear you took out, filtration and etc. What else you took with you? Um, I used I used Nikon manual focus AIS lenses. Um, we had a set of a 20 a 24, 35, 50, 85, 135, and 180, and they were all the fastest lenses. So most of them were 1.4s, except for the uh, 135, which was an F2. I've always used these lenses because my experience coming from a, a film background is that if you're going to shoot dramatic fiction, you need to have full full manual control over every facility on the lens which means focus and iris um and having a, a manual focus lens with a f- fixed iris means that you just put a polyfocus on and you can twiddle the iris by hand you don't need to have uh, it's not tied into a electronic mechanism within the camera part of this part of the process was having all the hard click stops taken out of the lenses so they, the irises were just free-flowing, freely rotating irises like you would have on a normal cine mm. lens. So do you find you're riding the iris much? Are you doing iris pulls uh, as a matter of course? All the time, because it's just the nature of nature of filming. When you don't have much money and you, you, you choose not to use too many lights and you don't have the budget for that many lights, but often you know, you're starting off, there's someone standing in front of a window and then they pan around and then they walk off down a corridor somewhere and then someone else appears and 
they go rummage around for a bit of paper they dropped under the table. Well, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to light every bit of that set, but you can just uh, adjust the iris as you go, and it's all very well exposed. So, you know, even even just little things, people standing up, sitting down when they stand up, you know, they might just be a little bit hotter because they're near the window. Well, you just just ride it ever so slightly. And I find that's probably the most essential tool in the, uh, the lens arsenal is having control over the over the iris. And apart from anything else, those Nikons do have a, a really, really lovely look to them. I mean, I had that whole set when I was a photographer and I'm kicking myself now that I sold them all in the early 90s. <laughs> now you're having to rent them. When I got into the film, when I started getting into cinematography. But who knew? Who knew, Tim? Knew. I'm scouring eBay now <laughs> to try and re- restock my collection of lenses. However, they do focus the wrong direction. I'm sure your focus puller is not entirely thanking you for that choice. Well, they, the follow focus that I use, there's a, there's a little reversing gear on it, so um, it's fine. Right. You just can't go grabbing the lens and expect to have that intuitive direction thing, I guess. But you'd be, I'd be surprised. I mean, I had an excellent, really good focus puller, and he was a bit you know he knew all about this but within half a day i could i was watching him and i could tell he wasn't even thinking about it anymore it's just so having gone through all this fight uh, to get the camera on board was there i guess there's probably a real pressure not to then screw it up <laughs> well i've got to say it's it's if you know what you're doing it's pretty hard to screw it up with that camera because it, it's, so, it's so delightful to you Everybody loves it. I mean, the big difficulty is focus, which everybody talks about because of the you, know, you have such shallow depth and you, you sort of want to use it as well because creatively it looks great, but then it makes it that much more difficult to keep it all sharp and you don't want to you don't want to do take after take with actors who are really giving it their all just because it goes out of focus. So I I made a point of not shooting wide open unless I absolutely had to, for example, on that night scene, but I kept it between two eight and four the whole time, which still looks gorgeous. On it's still a very different look, isn't it? At that stop, you really don't. You know, if you're shooting at one point two, one point four, yes, it's it's nice to have that if you need it, but you're not really being fair on anybody, unless nobody's unless the camera's not moving and your subject's not moving. So, would you do it all again? I mean, if the next project comes up, even if the budget's much bigger, would you would you go this route again? Um, depends less on the budget than the type of show it is. I'd say if it's a big, big television series machine type of show, then it's probably not the right type of camera to use because the back end with all the um, monitoring, etc., of the video village doesn't, that doesn't work yet at all well. It's very, um, yes, fiddly, awkward situation that I understand how to do it, but no one else does. So when, uh, when they're not getting a picture at video village, they're going to give us a... It's your job. There's some cries coming out, and I just have to tell people to be patient while I just check things out, and then I can switch it over to SD and all that sort of nonsense. So that would be quite um, counterproductive. And I suspect that producers would get nervous about the focus aspect, that they'd panic about, oh, is it in focus? Are we going to, is that shot soft? sharp everybody I mean, there's reports coming back from the edit room well there was one shot that was a little and because they're, they're already worried about it because of the reputation yeah. of the camera yeah. they'll jump on that that that's the sort of the big machine type of television making but for for smaller little tv movies that the coronation street one is a type of well it's perfect really 
So do you think these cameras are now officially greenlit or it's going to be on a case-by-case basis? How is the Beeb going to treat it from now going forward? Well, the BBC are saying, because they're, they're saying that it's still being treated on a case-by-case basis. And if you want to use this camera, you have to shoot tests that effectively uh, replicate the type of scenes you'll be photographing in your film. Uh, It's not officially greenlit at all. They're very encouraged by the results of what we have done and inspired them to, to look much more closely into the viability of the 5D or any DSLR, for that matter, as a, as a shooting as a main camera shooting platform. So if nothing else, it will have opened the door to productions using this format. Well, look, terrific. Thank you for, for having a chat. I think uh, the project looks fantastic from what I've seen. I can't wait to see the uh, the rest of it once it finally makes its way down here to the ABC. How can people, I guess, find out more, book you, um, get in touch? Well, I'm, <laughs> that's very kind of you. Um, my agent in London is... Uh, it's a company called Caserotto Marsh, and um, it's caserotto.com. But they're a very established London agency, and they represent the likes of Chris Mangies and Remy Adafarisin, etc. So I like to feel I'm in good company. <laughs> well, again, thank you, Tim. Really appreciate it, man. Well, thanks very much. One of the things I'd have to say is that I think that the show looks really good, but also this was a show that people would have torn strips off if they didn't like it. Uh, the general public would have just the the you know the mirror the yeah well, the world. The, oh, I I guess so. Why do you say that? Though? I tell you, in England, people are just just it's like an institution. Yeah, and also say. because it was the road to coronation, it was like the formation of the yeah. thing. Yeah. There was a lot of discussion about it when I was there. I was kind of surprised. Yeah. No, it's really nice. It's uh, Obviously, it's a period piece. It's the, the start of, the, you know, in the, I think, guess in the 50s, the beginning. Yeah. It's been around in a long time. It's in black and white, uh, you know. It's was gone, you know, on the air before I was born. It's definitely um, going for a long time. There's a shot in the show notes that you've included of the 5D on this thwacking great um, head and tripod, yes. which I just think is hysterical because it's almost like, where's the camera? Oh, that little thing at the back there behind the uh, mat box, yeah. that's the camera. 5D with a little mat box but sitting on Is that a Marshall, I think, he has on top of that? Uh, oh, it could be, thing. maybe, because that was shot before these ones came out. Anyway, uh, so that was good. And uh, thanks, Tim, for... It was uh, low budget talking to Jason for our Red Room. Okay, so I have a um, uh, last thing I'm going to do this week is a technical rant, uh, rave and discussion about the uh, 5D to RGB. I've had more emails asking our collective opinion on this one, Jason, than uh, than actually, I think, on any other single piece of tech that's come out in recent times. Um, so I'm going to... I wanted to not answer this question until we'd had a chance to play with it properly. And I'm really glad that that was the case. Uh, my instincts were correct. My problem with this is that if you actually do an internet search, if you actually did a, like a yep. Google search of um, 5D to RGB, you'll get, of course, the website of the company that did it. And they did a really nice uh, job in terms of um, revision of doing a press release. And they have this shot which has like a little close-up of a... Um, I don't know what it is. I guess it's like a logo of something off a camera, I guess. And it jumps. It's like an animated GIF that moves between the two. And the before and after basically is stunningly better. And you go, oh, my mm. God, this is just awesome. This is 
you know, and so then I saw – now, the second thing on Google, the third thing, the fourth, the fifth, and about the ninth all the way through are people basically going on about how bloody great this software is based, yeah, I think, it. solely on the bloody press release, Yeah, which I think is a, is a mistake because it's given it some kind of holier-than-thou um, – a lot of people are, like, raving about it as being God's gift to um, SLRs. And, and I should say that I think it's good, but I think we should just yeah. get some perspective on what it is. What it's doing is converting – the YUV to RGB in a way better than is done by the QuickTime and thus producing what is essentially uh, a better picture conversion. But it's in beta and it's not a particularly good workhorse yet because it's done on a single frame basis or a single clip basis. So what happens when you run the darn software up is that you have the opportunity to process a clip. There's nothing wrong with that. It's yep. totally cool. It's just that that's it. I can't, uh, for example, with... Um, uh, Magic Bullet Grinder, I can just drag a whole bunch of clips in it or start processing through. With this, it just processes one after another, but I have to wait till the first one's finished to load up the next one. It's also quite slow. There is another, apart from, I agree with you with the slowness, there is a newer version around that is doing batch, that will do batch, and you can drag folders, drag clips, and that's fine. So that that part of it is, yep. is solved and sorted. And again, I'll just join you in saying that this is props to uh, the guy who's, who's created this and essentially bringing something that's so far is you know is a free option to yep. to the Canon plugin or to Grinder, and the thing about it is that it does produce a better conversion from uh, YUV to RGB space than we're seeing from the plugins in QuickTime. But here are things that it's not doing, and I think actually that I, I level no criticism at the company Revision for doing this because I think they're quite open. It's just that people are reading a lot into that um, animated GIF, the before and after. Yeah, it's not improving the resolution. It, it's not miraculously getting more out of the sensor than you get on the file because that's mathematically impossible. Yeah. It's not somehow accessing the raw data upstream of the H.264 because that is mathematically impossible. What you've got is a file that's encoded that comes to your computer and then you can transfer that file to RGB in a couple of different ways and one of the good ways to do it is through this app. But it's not particularly fast and it doesn't, it doesn't produce results that, to my eye, on a sort of 720p level, are obviously noticeable. Now, some people say, and it's true, I think, that it's a nice rendition of skin colors. And I think that is absolutely true. Though, I would say that I would be preparing nearly all the material that I shoot on the 5D personally for grading. I don't tend to run stuff through that isn't going to be graded. And as a consequence, I expect to grade it. So, I don't know that it's giving me something in the skin tones that I couldn't have graded to if I had, for example, Resolve on Mac or, yeah. or you know, some system like that. Mm. Um, so the question is, what is it giving me that, it's, that it, own, in, it is only giving me? And that is in some clips, not all clips, where you've got very strong chroma um, transitions and uh, you might have like a really bright colored saturated thing moving to another thing, you can get a kind of like a dark line in the RGB conversion. And this does a better job at doing that. But what it's not going to do, for example, is remove moray patterns. Uh, it's not going to solve the sensor doing line skipping. It's not going to solve uh, like a whole bunch of problems that are, people have been kind of almost... Uh, uh, wishing i guess mm. that it does it's not it's not the holy grail that you know is like somebody wrote this is the thing that we've been waiting for this is the you know the thing that we've the, that we've been hanging out for that solves yeah. the um, problem of compression on the 5d and just doesn't do any of those things no. and as i say i don't think rare vision claims that it does no, um, no not at all but it, the, the results that you see and when you see web comparisons are normally like 800 percent blow-ups and this is a really important point 
because at 1920 by 1080, I can tell a difference. At 720, I'm pushing it yep um and if i blow it up 800 percent, i can definitely look at the red channel only i can definitely tell the difference so is it worth doing well yeah if i had some green screen footage and i was trying to key that i would definitely go for this but would i just process every clip of rushes through this well i just i just wouldn't it would take too long i don't think the results would justify it and yeah. i don't think it's a sensible workflow and no, it doesn't I just say it's early days with this thing it's still a beta i'm going to stick up for it and say that it's it's going to evolve my I just simply compared it to um, to Grinder, which is what I use all the time, and just gave it gave both of them four clips, uh, and then had a look at just just rough eye. I didn't sort of get into dig into red channels and any of that sort of stuff. Just literally just sort of you know blew up the image a little bit and had a bit of a look at a few sections here. I didn't really go too in depth. First thought was that five um, D to RGB. There was I could see the very slightest bit more of artifacts and just some interesting sort of slight different I was literally comparing absolute frame to frame um, that I could see slightly different sort of artifacts the way the artifacts played maybe slightly blocky uh, but you know just in, in, in solid colours I could just see them breaking up differently second thing which is the more major thing is speed uh, I had gave four clips to Grinder and to RGB um, uh, Grinder took four minutes uh, RGB took 16 minutes so yeah. it's literally f- 400% uh, slow but um, so at the moment uh, the other thing to also still consider at the moment is that the uh, E1 or whatever it is the EOS plugin for Final Cut Pro I think there's been an update or there is about to be or the, I think there just has been an update to that plugin so there may have been some improvement there as well so comparing 5D to RGB to the, the E1 plugin may not be quite as fair as it Yeah, used I mean, to my be. criticism is less to do with the product and more to do with the internet echo chamber or people just it, absolutely. going off yeah, about it. Don't immediately just go, wow, it's cool. Bugger. Look at this comparison. Yeah, fantastic. You've got to check this stuff out for yourself. Obviously, Grinder is whatever it is, $80, $90, and this is free. Uh, and it's in beta, and it's evolving, and the and the guy involved is you know is interested. Oh, in I would input. like to have it in my. I would honestly like to have it in my toolkit. Yep. But I just don't want to um, lay on the poor thing, the the, yeah. the weight of Absolutely. if I ran everything through this, my stuff would look just so sensationally yeah, much wow. better than it yeah. does now. Yeah, it's getting rid and of it would all that. Solve, yeah, getting and finally, it would unlock the power of the sensor in my five D. Getting raw. None of that shit is what it does. Yeah, absolutely. It does a better a space. It handles gamma. Uh, better, um, yep. and obviously there are gamma problems. So you can actually get in your timeline of Final Cut something that looks like the gamma of what you shot. Of course, you have to be careful when you export from Final Cut that you don't reintroduce the problem. Um, but I just, you know, look, I've said this before. One of the things that we set out to do with Red Center is be professional and do stuff properly. Yep. And it would have been really easy for us to go on about how great this was the day it came out. And it is good. It's just that I think that the problem with the SLR market at the moment, and quite frankly, it happens with Red as well, and to a lesser extent, you know, some of the other cameras, is people jump on this stuff because everyone wants to be first with a Twitter retweet. And I just think, well, look, this is a sensible thing, but um, in the one isolated case of the shot that I need it for, I'm happy to take the hit of the time. Yep. And I would like every little bit that I can eke out of it. But would it be standard production workflow right now to use on every clip? Well, it, for me, it wouldn't be. Yeah. Um, and I don't think 
and I, I'm a big believer in expectations. If if you get it thinking it's going to solve all your problems, you're going to be disappointed in the product because it's just never going to meet those expectations. Yeah, you should have a more realistic expectation of what it can do. And the fact that we got, I'm telling, you, I think I personally got like twelve, maybe fifteen emails of people going, "Oh my god, this thing looks awesome! Can you review it on Red mm. Center?" Yeah, and I looked at it and went, "Really? Okay, yeah. let me just." take my time with this it's still a bit of an open book i mean i think grinder is fantastic but it's still got a little bit of a way to go i think you can only well you know you john montgomery only... doesn't use grinder even he actually okay. uses compressor um right. i use grinder i like oh, grinder i just never get my head around well thing. we do a lot of stuff so he's kind of yeah no, absolutely you but... guys you guys are like seriously no no stuff like compressor it just i just just no no i like grinder does, as well does my head in yeah um, um so of the comparisons that i've done grinder still wins hands down it's fantastic uh it just needs to have I think it only does time base. Um, it it, it uh, conforms to twenty four. It doesn't conform to twenty five. Um, so basically, you can drop the files in there. And if you've got if you shot them at thirty frames, if you want them to play back at thirty frames, they'll they'll stay as original. Or you can change them so they'll obviously have that twenty five twenty four frame time base. But I don't think they've added um, twenty five yet. In which one? Uh, in Grinder. Yeah, just twenty five. Yeah. Yeah. Well, twenty five and twenty four. Well, because uh, I had some 25 footage, I ran through it, and I just did same as original, so it came out at 25. Yeah, but if I've shot something at 30, and I want, oh, it, I so I don't I want it to play back that. at 25... Yeah, no, I haven't tested that. Yeah, I don't shoot off do speed it. like that. No. Well, yeah. I sometimes do. For, see, <laughs> you know, some arty, arty, arty wank I, stuff sometimes. I know, I but yeah, it should be there as an option. I guess it will, will come, but... Um, so far, it's magic uh, grinder is, and I don't want to turn this into a whole ma- um, red giant stew f- love fest. But um, uh, that one. So what I would do, so what I'd recommend, yeah, I'd recommend grinder. I'd recommend this five uh, D to RGB as a really great tool to have in the toolkit for some trickier shots because you don't want to do a quick hack uh, run through in um, in Final Cut. But if you introduce it as standard in your workflow at the moment, given the time it takes to process, and I certainly haven't used the batch version, so without the batch version yeah. last night, it was really and dull. It's, and it's free at this stage. I was like last night processing clips. Specifically, I had a problem that I was trying to see how well we could address because I'd done the other testing, the standard stuff, but I thought I'd look at it in terms mm. of more A patterns and stuff. Right. And just really thrash it on a particular, very difficult clip that was mm. very subtle. And I did... I'm going to say 12 passes or maybe 10 passes through it with noise on, noise off. Oh, by the way, the noise feature, I was going to mention that. I don't think the noise feature is particularly valid. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, but I don't think it's particularly sophisticated noise. It doesn't let you specify color or black and white noise or, or work on the grain profile of the noise. So adding noise as part of the 5D to RGB process, oh, I probably I do. Right. I'd probably do as a separate step, as mm-hmm. a later um, process. Yeah. I, I, I can't preview it enough to sort of commit to it before I did it. Mm. But anyway, I, I tried everything I could possibly think of. And there is also a uh, direct RGB, sorry, direct, yeah, direct conversion that basically gives you um, a kind of a weird thing that you might want to use for pulling an alpha key uh, and produces something, let's face it, looks remarkably, if not totally like um, unusable crap. But in fact is, uh, well, you know, I mean, it is, let's face it. <laughs> It's not getting around it. Um, yeah. But it's uh, it's the YUV um, direct transfer. It's like it comes out purple and green. Oh, okay. And that presumably is because I want to key based off the purple and turn it into a black and white to get a luminance key. Um, I don't tend to key stuff that way, so that's not going to be something I'm going to use. The noise is something I'm going to use. I have tested all these modes, though. But just look on the, uh, on the straight version... Um, 
I couldn't get rid of the moray pattern. So I, I did try and sort of do the things that it's meant to do that, you know, it's promised to do by other people. And I read everybody else's reviews because I was kind of curious as to, you know, had I missed something? Right. And in the end, there were a couple of good reviewers out there who focused on the color or on the gamma shift yeah. issue and focused just on that. And I, to those individuals, I totally applaud them because we need more of considered stuff to this. You know, yeah, rather than just the, you know, the, yeah, the internet honestly. version of a retweet. Exactly, exactly. Which is why you know we bother going to IBC, why we bother doing these things. I don't want to sound like we're too much holier than now, but I do just really get yeah, pissed off at this kind of yeah. hype stuff off the press release. Um, yeah. I know we're not professional journalists, but we do have some kind of bloody um, uh, whatever to actually Morals. check the facts ourselves. Yeah. Anyway, uh, as I said, I think it's a good tool in the arsenal. Just yep. got a bit cranky with the internet. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Why am I getting cranky with the internet? Just lazy blogging, you know, just saying, this is great, awesome. If anybody's used it, please let us know. So, yeah, look, um, props to Rare Vision for getting it out there and putting it in the mix. And, yes, look, this is not an attack on them. It's just, you know, like we said, we do an overview of it all. Uh, this is going to be an evolve, evolving thing, no doubt, as as you know, stuff evolves. Even even Magic Bullet, as even Grinder evolves as well. Yeah, no, totally. I'm totally happy to stay on it and keep working with it. I just didn't want it, people to be disappointed when it didn't, you know, basically <laughs> provide the missing link, solve cancer, and, and cure global <laughs> power problems, solve world hunger, and give yep. you 4K raw images out of your DSLR. Yep. Yeah. Cool. All right. I think that's pretty much us. I didn't get to talk this week about what I've been doing in London. I might talk no. about that next week. No, we should definitely do that because I think that's almost an F in itself. Just but I would like to do a shout-out. Can I do a shout-out yes, for our twitter um, We like to single out people on the Twitters so that we can, you know, basically say, hey, this is somebody that we find really interesting that we think you might enjoy following. And, you know, obviously Twitter gets oh, used. We couldn't find anybody. So... <laughs> No, no, no but this is uh, somebody I've been following for a while, actually. So when you said that this is who you'd be working with over there, I was really, I really, really rapt. I didn't know yeah. that you were following. This. So yeah. I've been shooting with Ed Moore in London. Now, Ed's a young DOP. I think he's exceptionally talented, a really nice guy. And what I like about him is he's a good mix of practical down-to-earth, and he intellectualizes the process to kind of think through, you know, the way he does things. And um, so anyway, he's on Twitter uh, as Ed Moore, which is E D M. Double O R E, no spaces or anything. Yeah. Um, Ed's a good guy and uh, and actually a really good DOP. And he's shot with a lot of red and SLR stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, he's got a website. And if you go to his website, you can see his stills work as well as his um, his other work. And we've been shooting for a couple of weeks in London. I really enjoyed the experience, Jason. I've got to say, it's it's always good to work with somebody you haven't worked with before. And you can therefore copy from them because he was the DOP. I was um, acting as like a second operator. Right. Right. And okay. Tons of tricks you just pick up from somebody like that that, um, you know, they've thought stuff through. It was indie professional is probably the best way to describe it. Um, Fantastic. And which is kind of the way the world's sort of drifting a little bit or uh, to a great degree. What Ed can't do with a China ball and a 1K is just not worth doing. Anyway, uh, it was great shooting with him. Um, he's uh, got a really good eye and he's a nice guy. And uh, in between um, his comments on James Bond, you'll find his Twitter feed to be actually quite uh, quite. Interesting. Um, Excellent. So that's Ed Moore. Excellent. Well, and, um, uh, speaking and of Twitter, the show. yeah, he, he has show. been a long-term yeah. listener. Yeah, Doesn't absolutely. like you, of course. No, no, of course. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, so, uh, okay, Mike, where we can find you? Uh, well, I'm obviously over at fxguide.com uh, and fxphd.com on the Twitter. I'm slash Mike Seymour. But FX Guide is a great place to find me hanging out. Absolutely. Uh, I'm uh, jasonwingrove.com or 
tw- uh, Wingrove on Twitter or vimeo.com slash Wingrove where all my sort of uh, totally um, indulgent art pieces will be found. Hey, uh, far from <laughs> it. I think actually you've got some really nice pieces on your Vimeo uh, feed. Really, really nice. Yeah, that's a couple of newish ones in there. Yeah. Um, thank you for listening, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for the – sorry, it's a long one. But uh, there has been a lot of water under the bridge since last step, so thank you. Until next time, I'm Mike Seymour, and uh, we will be back in about a week, I think, to pick up on the stuff that we missed out on, including, as I said before, that stuff to do with the uh, Ninja uh, Solid State Recorder, and thanks to John for recording that. All right, until next time, see you. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us, red at fxguide.com. Copyright 2010, FX Guide, LLC.